Salutations. Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband, and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from the basement of an abandoned church discussing the 1987 supernatural horror film, Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness was directed by John Carpenter and written by Carpenter under the pseudonym Martin Quatermass. Prince of Darkness is the second installment of Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, positioned between The Thing and In the Mouth of Madness. This film blends religious themes with horror in a unique way. Prince of Darkness was recommended to us by friend of the show and our father, Travis Hunter. Thank you for suggesting this film and for being our dad. (laughs) So what did you guys think about Prince of Darkness the first time you saw it? I had never even heard of this movie Mm -hmm. or seen it or anything. Wow. So watching it, I was uh, very excited to kind of see what it was. Mm -hmm. I do really like the name of the movie. Yeah. Which I think kind of intrigued me more than anything. I was like, ooh, what is this? Yeah. Um, But I enjoyed the shit out of this movie. Good. There's one thing that I will point out later that I absolutely head over heels loved about the movie. Oh. Um, But... Uh, yeah, this uh, this was I liked it. I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's always good when you enjoy the movie. Yeah, I got <laughs> you specifically. <laughs> <laughs> gotta say, um, I was told because Dad specifically requested this movie. Yeah, so I was very curious as to see you know what where that came from because mm. I did not remember seeing this movie as a kid. No, I would say I've never seen it before now. I had my mind blown because I was told that as kids, we watched this movie all the time. Well, <laughs> maybe small, small. Kids. I guess yeah. maybe it was too spicy for the pepper like, and we blocked that. <laughs> could I not see past my bottle? Right. Or like what? Because I don't remember this. Define kids. <laughs> Define all the time. I swear. And they said the thing was, is that there there is no showing of the flesh in this movie mm-hmm. no so of course it's a film that we could watch right you know without having to worry about it yeah and so i was like okay well that makes sense but yeah they said yeah we wore that tape out how much we watched it and i was like i don't <laughs> recall this but dad was so excited we put this on a poll on patreon mm-hmm. it did not win that poll but if you know our dad he he commented on the Patreon, which is so out of character for him mm-hmm. yeah. for a movie that I did not even know that he liked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were like, what the what hell? What the hell? But I... I well, because that was the one that Carrie won. Yeah. And we were like, oh, of course they're yeah. going to vote for Carrie. Like, we no, just they did assumed. not. Yeah. yeah. And like they confer. They're like, Prince of Darkness? Prince yeah. of Darkness? <laughs> I was like, holy Wait, shit. Wait, what? But the thing is, is that not having that memory of watching it as a kid... It's kind of like JP. Mm-hmm. It was a brand new film for me. Yeah. There were a few moments that I vaguely remembered, like a few shots that could probably be be deemed iconic mm-hmm. for the film anyway. But outside of that, it was just a fresh film. And honestly, there is so much to love about this film, oh, I think. Yeah. I am really intrigued by the convergence of science and religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's done in such a way that is not what is typically explored. Right. Mm -hmm. It's such an original idea. But I was kind of, I mean, surprised, I guess isn't the proper term. The fact that this is sandwiched in between the thing. Yeah. And in the mouth of madness. Yeah. yeah, It only could have been overlooked. Yeah. It had no choice. You know, those movies had no chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're so talked about and discussed and for good reason. But this one always seems to be like the 
you know mm-hmm. redheaded stepchild yeah, i guess so i didn't want to offend any redheaded stepchildren right. <laughs> i can't believe you said that Nick. no we love you yeah. um, you're our favorite actually yeah. <laughs> black sheep we'll say that mm. we don't want to offend any black sheep no i'm no. sorry to all the black sheep um yeah i didn't know until right now that i had seen this before i thought yeah. <laughs> is that why you've been so quiet thought, you're like what yeah, the fuck? I'm, I'm having an existential crisis over here um yeah it was i guess in my mind a new watch and i was super impressed by it i didn't mm-hmm. i really like to go in blind and so like you i was like the title like yeah. what the fuck does that mean mm-hmm. and then the fact that it's john carpenter i was i mean you know it's going to be at least good oh right? yeah but no i really liked it i like a lot of the visual visuals i love uh donald pleasant oh yeah. of course <laughs> and he is donald um, pleasant yeah oh no yeah <laughs> Um, I want to say, though, very quickly that we're doing this this week because it's our dad's birthday. Mm-hmm. And like we said, um, he really wanted this movie, mm, which yeah. is very surprising. So happy birthday, dad. Happy birthday, happy dad. Birthday. Um, tomorrow, I think, from when this episode. Tomorrow. Yeah. from when the, So uh, happy birthday, dad. Yeah. Tomorrow. Early. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad that he went so hard for this because I don't know when we would have gotten to it. And I'm really glad that we did because... Right. Wow. Like this is a really cool little movie that had not been on my radar ever. It's nuts to me because it's so Carpenter-esque as a film, but it's also Carpenter-esque in the way that it didn't get the respect it deserved until (laughs) later. later. I was watching uh, the film with the commentary and he was talking about, I guess, he had just done these two films for studios. Right. I think it was a film called Starman. And then he did a film, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, love it. Kurt Russell. I mean, come on. I was talking about that this morning. Really? (laughs) Well, there's, he was telling me, JP was, there's a lot of people from that film in this film. Yeah. Which I love Carpenter working with people over and over again. Yeah. But after the experience of those films, he was like, I need to go back to my roots, Mm -hmm. do a low budget indie horror film. And so he signs this deal to make, I think, two films. I think it was this and They Live. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Roddy Piper. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but he made this film for $3 million. And he had just, I guess, grown tired of the studio system. And he's like, if I go back to my roots, I go back to horror. I love making horror. He just wanted to have full control again. Well, I mean, which a director should have. Yes. Right. We talked about this recently on Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, worst title in the world. But... <laughs> It's that's a very that's super. I can't imagine how frustrating that would be. No, when you're sought out for your creativity, yeah, and then it's stifled. Now, don't get too creative. That's that's where we'll start to have problems. But it's just nuts. And he was talking about reading about quantum mechanics and it just influencing this, and then Mm -hmm. uh, discussions of religion. I guess it always intrigued him, right? And so he just wanted to create something original and gloomy. And Mm -hmm. I think he he succeeded. I think he succeeded. Now, before we broadcast into this film subconscious, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's run some tests. So the film opens with the theme playing, and we get a shot of the moon before we're in Father Carlton's church bedroom. Now, I wanted to credit 
this man that played mm-hmm. Father Carlton? I cannot find his name fucking. It's not even on IMDb. Did he actually exist? <laughs> he <never laughs> played. Father Carlton played by Father Carlton. No, there's a real priest that died yeah. and they're like, no, just fill it. <laughs> Keep filling. <laughs> Keep rolling. But the old man closes his eyes and takes what is presumably his last breath. As he dies, he loosens his grip on a small box that rests on his stomach. And we get the title card, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. So we're already starting off on the right foot. Oh, yeah. Just, Just immediately. Jump in there. I <laughs> yeah. like it. I, I love like it. it. I have to, of course, call out the font of the credits right yeah the same as the thing it's just carpenter's font mm-hmm. as i said find your font mark yes, mark your mark man, your man. Yeah. Well but you've got your pulsing synth of the carpenter howarth score mm-hmm. you got a shot of the moon which we right. love which we love yeah i got my wad of hundreds like that's how i'm feeling <laughs> right now <laughs> like it's just unbelievable and it's such a interesting starting off point you're like what's in the box man yeah, yeah. what's in the box yeah that- <laughs> <laughs> I told your sister that yesterday. Uh-huh. I said I just wanted to scream, and I was like, "What is it? Yeah. What is it? Open it in the box." You know, it's going to be important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm dumb because I literally thought, "I think his soul's in there, yeah. man." <laughs> <laughs> the Prince of Darkness is, is in that box. Yeah. <laughs> but we cut to a college campus where Brian Marsh, played by Jameson Parker, walks around with his bag and his mustache. He sees. <laughs> He sees Catherine Danforth, played by Lisa Blount, talking with a friend, and he just stares at her. Catherine and her friend walk away, and then Brian comes back to his senses and goes about his business. I'm glad Brian could take a break from his job at Target to be here because (laughs) (laughs) they've ruined that color combination. But I did want to point out that not only was his mustache real... It's not fake, although I was like, that's got to be a fake <laughs> <No>. mustache. <laughs> but this is a real college campus that they're filming on. Oh, oh wow. Nice. This is USC, which is where Carpenter went to film school. Cool. Hey. And so it's like, he's not only returning to the horror genre, he's returning to his old stomping ground. Yeah, no, right. his like roots roots. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool. And he only had one day to film here on campus. And so every scene you see on campus, night, day, they did it in one day. Oh, Damn. shit. Yeah. <laughs> Just nuts. But we go back to the church where a nun, played by Betty Ramey, discovers Father Carlton seeming to be dead on his bed with the box on his chest. We cut to her explaining to a priest credited as priest, <laughs> played by the always dramatic Donald Pleasance, that Father Carlton never regained consciousness after being taken to the hospital. So I don't know if he wasn't dead there. I yeah. guess not. It's just a weird way to because he, th- th- it, he we watched dead. him yeah. die. Like, he literally, like he I heard a death rattle. Yes. Right. <laughs> but Donald Pleasance, just the best. He is Mister Six Times himself. Six t- yeah, <laughs> Donald Six Times yeah. Pleasance. <laughs> but the priest asks what Father Carlton was even doing here, and the nun tells him that he had an appointment with the cardinal. But that does not seem to be a good enough answer yeah. for the priest. He looks down at a table in the room where Father Carlton's mysterious box just sits. We cut to him in the room later alone and reading through Father Carlton's journal. Just kind of rude. A little bit. Invasive. <laughs> He's not even cold. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But the journal speaks of a horrible secret that he's been keeping since taking his vow of silence. And it says things like, quote, the sleeper awakens, Mm. which is um, I can't think of that being (laughs) a good thing. (laughs) I chuckled to myself here because I was like, there's a little bit of overlap with the fog already. 
Because you start You're the movie, right. you yeah. got a priest reading a diary. At least this one's uh, clean. Yes. <laughs> because there was nothing about this one Jack talking Beavers. About, and talking about showing the flesh. No, I think Carpenter learned his lesson from last time. <laughs> like, I'll write the fucking diary. He's don't. like, what do you mean people can pause? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Is that what I put on film? Like, yeah. So this one was very clean, thankfully. But I think it's interesting because there's actually some overlap with other Carpenter works later on. Like, I think that there might just be a language that he has when he writes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, when Quatermass writes. When yeah. Quatermass <laughs> writes, yes. I read that that was a reference to some character in a BBC science fiction TV show. <laughs> that sounds about right. I was surprised it wasn't just another friend of his. It's like, this was right. written he by just... Ben Tramer. <laughs> <laughs> But oh, yeah. Oh, so this is another Chris Gaines, huh? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, is it's that what's happening Gaines. again? It's just Carpenter in a wig. Yeah. <laughs> His hair combed forward. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's John yeah. Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to Professor Howard Birak, played by Victor Wong, walking to his building back on that college campus. Just before he gets to the door, he stops to look up at the sky, and we see a shot of an anthill absolutely bustling with ants it's unsettling yeah yeah and it's kind of the start of i guess a feeling of uneasiness right well because it's something that shouldn't be unnerving yeah it's just and that's their house like yeah but <laughs> their house. there was a lot of them a lot. <laughs> like they're just going for a morning walk. Yeah. Yeah, you're out too what is <laughs> I think, I mean, it's it's the thing about nature knowing first. Right. Yeah. And Which is always scary. Oh, yeah. It's And it's usually just done with some dogs barking. So yeah. <laughs> I thought this was a nice change of pace. Um, I, I did realize, too, like a lot of the people in here, like this dude I love. Uh-huh. He was uh, in Three Ninjas. Like he was in movies when I watched growing up Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. And I, I was like, oh, hell yeah. I was like, this is great. Now it's a party. Yeah. I just love his reusing people. Yeah. There's an actor that comes up later that I think this was his first film with Carpenter, but then he went on to appear in nearly every single film after that. I love Damn. that. So it's like, you know, All he right. finds his people and he keeps with him yeah and of course donald pleasant yeah of course but professor birak looks up to see clouds unveiling the sun with a sliver of moon just above the sun he looks confused and then goes into the building (laughs) back at i guess another church we see the priest walking next to a fountain with I'm laughing because I I put in my notes two church guys and I meant to go back and find out what they were, but <laughs> clearly I didn't. Clergymen? So, clergymen. What's right. you clergymen? Now I am Cut not, all that out. Yeah. <laughs> I am not Catholic, but I am aware of birds and I'm assuming because they're wearing red, they I might thought, be cardinals. You're wrong. Cardinals. I Googled it. Right. Are, are they sparrows? Sure. <laughs> they're the high sparrow. Yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a church, right? Yeah, I think the cardinals are... In all red, like they're full oh, bird. Right. Because I are thought the even, same thing. Do they put on their ceremonial beak? Because I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about religion. Let us take right. flight. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> I thought the same thing, and then I googled cardinal, and uh-huh. no, they're, they're red. They're dripping oh, like wow. red, and head to toe. But so we'll call them clergymen. Right. Clergymen. So is right. Let's take it from the top. All right. <laughs> <laughs> He's walking next to a fountain with two clergymen. Hmm. We can't hear them talking, but we do see 
priest mm-hmm. open Father Carlton's box and pull out a very large key. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the key to the city. I think, uh, <laughs> I think it might be. All, there was never chocolate inside. All I could think again was... I know we went back to it, but this is a fucking mission. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. You go Seriously. find this. Oh, there's a key inside. Yeah. Let's find what the yeah. key goes to. It tripped me out because literally interspliced with these little scenes, we're still getting the credits. Yeah. And so I thought at least act one of this film would be opening that box or finding out what's inside of it. Right. But it's like, nah, bitch. It's right a key. Now, yeah. yeah. We've barely heard any dialogue. No. Yeah. <laughs> I am if I'm not mistaken, the credits run, I think, for the first like ten or eleven it's a long minutes. Time. Yeah. It's a long I time. Very interesting choice. But it's more of an excuse to continue that pulsing scent right. throughout. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. That that is one thing that like I said, I know I would say it and since you brought it up, <laughs> the music in this movie and mm-hmm. as as you've made it aware to me, I like John Carpenter's music. Yes. Um <laughs> it never stops. No. And I am in love with it. He had said that he wanted to make a constant feeling of like foreboding it works it really does it does he had talked about he discussed it on the commentary about i guess there's a difference between underscoring and what he called mickey mousing and i guess when it comes to scores mickey mousing is where the score matches actions on screen right like he said godzilla steps and it's like bum bum you know (laughs) but if you have an underscoring, it's kind of just this sense of it almost being another character in the room. And it, oh, it, it no, is. it is. Yeah. And yeah. it just works so well. And especially with the the way that the shots line up, it's yeah. just, it's brilliant. But in his classroom, Professor Birak lectures about beliefs. His examples include our belief that nature is solid and that time is a constant, which you don't really think about as beliefs. Yeah. No, it's kind of just part of being alive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He details matter and flesh, not not that kind of flesh. And <laughs> the fact that we believe that time only has one direction and that we're born, we live, and then we die in that order. But he tells his class that none of this is true and they need to throw away their reality. Our logic does not exist at a subatomic level. And it made me think of American Dad when Roger's like, don't come crying to me when you can't rip up your midterm. Yeah. <laughs> I was literally thinking Go of Homer when he was like, is this going to be on the test? Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's talking, it sounds more like he's just kind of giving his own just right, thoughts. Right. Yeah, it's... um honestly pretty scary it is and they don't seem as frightened as they no. should be no well i mean the class is i guess what's it called theory like of uh quantum mechanics or whatever I don't know. Uh, wonton burrito meals. <laughs> 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 but the students in this class are going to come into play for the rest of the film so i'm going to go ahead and introduce them okay we good have idea. brian and Catherine, whom we've already met but there's also walter played by dennis dune kelly played by susan blanchard and mullins played by dirk blocker we cut back to the priest staring up at the church before cautiously walking inside holding on to the box we get this really great shot of the cross on the top of the church mm-hmm. but like through the gates yeah oh yeah it, it's like unnerving for some reason i okay so whenever the credits were rolling Mm -hmm. i was a little bummed to see that this film wasn't shot by dean cundy right but this guy that shot the film i believe his name is gary kibbe Mm -hmm. this was his first film as a cinematographer wow he had worked i guess as a camera operator he was i think he was a camera operator on coffee 
What? Pam Greer? Yeah. I mean, I'm here <laughs> for oh, it. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. But he was also a camera operator on Halloween 2. Hey. Oh, wow. And so this was his first film with Carpenter as the cinematographer, first right. film, period. All right. And then he went to shoot every single film of Carpenter's after this. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, That's so, badass. Yeah. I was like, I'm sorry your relationship with Dean Cundy ended, but yeah. Kibby's not bad. Yeah. No. There's some good shots in this film. Oh, he sounds like a smooth camera operator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded better in my head. That no, was good. I um, it. Once inside, though, the priest goes to a very serious looking door adorned with crosses and symbols. He uses the key and opens the door and walks inside. The next thing we see is Brian leaving one of the buildings on the campus at night. And he starts walking, but immediately stops and stares when he sees Catherine. He stops behind a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like a creep. <laughs> <laughs> he stares at her until she walks into another building. Then he just leans against the tree and looks up at the sky and we see a full moon. But the sight adjusts in a weird way where we see leaves from the tree against the background of yeah. the moon. Yeah. I didn't know if this was meant to be almost like a, not a primer but almost saying like you know nature science cosmic you know like right, all right. these themes together in this one shot because i was like oh yeah. like, it was like striking well because they like almost pierced through the moon yeah you're like oh what's that tree made of? <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm afraid yes it's like nobody's worried no yeah. no you don't look up and like mm. uh, why is that <laughs> yeah. like that <laughs> But he's distracted by the sound of the door at the other building opening and he looks over to see Catherine leaving with another man. They're both smiling as they walk away and Brian looks defeated before walking away himself. Are, so we're meant to believe that she's dating this man. They're walking together. Yeah. That's all. They're, they're not holding hands. And even if they were, uh -huh. you're literally just some dude staring at this woman. Through you, the bushes. Yeah. yeah but... <laughs> You got that sweet mustache. Yeah. And He's, He's like, like how got, are you yeah. passing this up? He's like, I got my Tom Atkins going yeah. on. And she's not. <laughs> I, I did want to point out as well, I believe that the actor who played Brian at this time is 40 years old. He is. I looked it up. And I got my bachelor's at 28, so it's nice to see older people on campus in movies. Yeah. It's the representation I've always wanted. <laughs> yeah. But we cut to the priest printing out a letter for Professor Birak. The letter states that the priest has found a most unusual phenomena. I feel like that's putting it very mildly. Mm -hmm. And it is of the utmost urgency that he meet with the professor. We cut to Birak's class where he lectures that we've always tried to impose an order on the world around us. But the fact is, while order does exist in the universe, it's not the order that we had in mind. Which is very frightening. <laughs> It's funny to me because Carpenter was talking about it on commentary, the scientific things explored in this film. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually him and Peter Jason on commentary mm -hmm. who's in this film. But Peter Jason was asking all these questions. Uh, a lot of them were about filmmaking, but a lot of it was about the context of the film. Uh -huh. right. And he's like, so, you know, all this stuff, what does it mean? And Carpenter's like, look, I don't know. <laughs> 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 he said, look, he literally said, I believe the phrase he used was, it's a lot of mumbo jumbo. But it sounds really good. It right. does. It does. And it makes it creepy. I don't know why. I think when you use something that is used to explain things in the modern world and mm -hmm. just the world in general. Right. But it's used in a way that makes something unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's 
scary. Yeah, it is. It just makes me think of what Chuck Palahniuk, Palahniuk. I don't know. I said his name wrong for a very long time, and now I don't remember which one's right. I think I say Palahniuk, and I'm sure I'm very wrong. Yeah, same. Um, Chuck, my my boy Chuck, Mm -hmm. he said that all you have to do is make it sound like you know what you're talking about. That's fair. Right. And people, you know, they're not really going to be like, no, what's your yeah. sign? Like, <laughs> no, it's just, okay, yeah, you're right. There's order, but not our order. Right, right. But I'm in. And the thing is, is as well as with Donald Pleasance, is it Victor Wong? Yeah. His performance sells all of it. Yeah. I'm just like, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you got it, boss. You got it, boss. He brings an authority, <laughs> you know? But as he speaks, though, Brian just stares at Catherine, who is actually paying attention and taking notes. <laughs> While someone asks the professor a question, Brian just looks out the window and sees a black car pull up. So this I saw as a Halloween reference. Yeah, for mm. sure. Someone bored in class and looks out the window and something with a car. Yeah. yeah. There just wasn't a man in a mask on there. Luckily. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm, I think they might have <laughs> maybe, preferred. <right? laughs> maybe, maybe that's preferable. Yeah. But as Birak's class leaves, the nun walks past them and stops the professor as he walks down the hall. Brian and Walter watch, guessing that this is about a series of debates that Birak did with a priest for the BBC some years ago. Yeah. So I'm like, is this our priest? (laughs) I think. Well, I don't know any other English priest. (laughs) But I thought I thought that was good that they were like establishing that relationship. That's how they know each other. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise you're like, well, what would a quantum physicist fucking professor have anything to do with? They Catholic grew, priest. Yeah. They grew up together. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the mean streets of Nolens. <laughs> <laughs> but they're like, yeah, that, that checks out. And they leave as Birak and the nurse continue to talk. And that also helps because at least the students in the class, there's nothing suspicious yet. Yeah. Right. It's like they have that relationship. Yeah. But finally, we see Birak arriving at a church and shaking hands with the priest. Their conversation is inaudible and we hear nothing but the theme mm-hmm. until they go inside. The priest explains that Father Carlton died before he got to meet with the cardinal. He's looking about the bird. Yeah. Yes. My ceremonial beak. Yeah. <laughs> but that he did leave behind his diary. He begs for Birak's help as he hands the diary over to him. We cut to Brian in his room playing with cards and watching something about science on his TV. But when we pan out, we see that the entire back of his TV is covered in ants. So is that normal? Because he's not like worried about it. <laughs> he's I like don't. really consumed with these cards, though. I, so he is. He's a card guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is he? Gambit? I don't know. <laughs> I, like, I thought I was watching yeah. horror movies. Is X Men? He's like, ah, oh, Mona Me. Yeah. That's Catherine. I I thought I didn't know because the ants almost sounded like they were making a static noise. Yeah. And I was like, is this another commentary on nature and technology? Could be. Oh, yeah. maybe because he's trying to learn science by watching it on the TV. But those ants are like, buy it. Yeah. The world's gonna end, dude. <laughs> Like, but also, I'm pretty sure that violates the warranty of the. Right. right yeah. <laughs> He's not getting his money back. Oh, there's your problem. There's a bunch of fucking ants back there. <laughs> <laughs> but we cut to the priest and Birak entering the church. As they walk to the door, the priest explains that Father Carlton was a guardian priest who lived here for 30 years and only left once a week for food. He only ate once a week? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> That's why he died. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Don't it's be like, doing I'm that. starving. <laughs> I'm really hungry. <laughs> Maybe I should start leaving more than once a week. The nun's like, is it Thursday? Get yeah. back to bed. <laughs> but he says that every day, Father Carlton would open this door. He opens the door and they go inside and down some stairs. The priest says this place was built in the 1500s in arrangement with the Spanish government. We don't know what the hell's down there, man. <laughs> I'm not comfortable. No. no. And the priest went down there for the first time, what, yesterday? Yeah, and now he knows all the tea. Apparently. Uh. I, I do want to call out, you see them walk into the church itself. Yeah. The exterior is a real church in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Oh. Then as soon as they walk in, it's still the church's interior, but the second they hit the hallway, it's a set. Uh, is he Hitchcock right. or what? I, yeah. <laughs> well, he loved Hitchcock. He's like, I, I'm not going to do it. No. I did also see that uh, whenever they go down into the little chamber below the basement, mm -hmm. I think that was an old dilapidated hotel. Oh. Oh, shit. And they had to sign waivers to go in there because it was collapsing around them. Oh, oh my shit. God. <laughs> like, as they were filming. And the fact that they signed waivers, I was like, is this guy also owned the Tides restaurant from the birds? Oh, shit. <laughs> But I was like, man, that's just nuts. And again, all it does to me is budget filmmaking. Right. Yeah. You know, you use what you can find and, you know, hopefully don't. Yeah. If we die, die we die. Yeah. yeah. How much do you believe in this film? <laughs> Enough to get tetanus. Yes. <laughs> but the priest goes on to say that nobody knows about this except for a forgotten sect, the Brotherhood of Sleep. Which great sounds name. like a yeah. sounds like a great time. Sounds like a great band. <laughs> He says they were under a vow of silence and that even the Vatican didn't know about it because the guardian priest would keep the secret before the guardian priest died. He was supposed to pass it on to somebody else. And because of their authority and respect, nothing that they did was ever questioned. Horrifying. Yeah, that's <laughs> horrifying for a different reason. Yeah. yeah. But they walk down hallways and finally into the room. It is lit with dozens and dozens of candles. And at the end of a red carpet that they walk on is a giant vial filled with a swirling green substance. So before we get to the container of slurm, <laughs> I, <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to call out how great it looks with the candlelit room. Yeah. Yes. It's just beautiful, honestly. It is. And I, I love how the slurm looks yeah like, yeah it looks so cool yeah man this is another instance where like you were saying the music yes how it follows them i was like i pointed out <laughs> pointed it out to your sister earlier i was like right here too check yeah. it out yeah <laughs> dude no joke i oh uh, that's one thing i did mean to mention is carpenter discussed that any time that there's a score of his in any of his films mm -hmm. It is literally, he has it on the TV, whatever, as like a reference, but it's all basically improvised. He doesn't write music. He just plays it. What? Oh, all right. Yeah. And so the other thing is Howarth was talking about how Carpenter never wanted to know how anything worked as far as like how the synthesizers are supposed <laughs> to be plugged in or what, right. you know. No, no. Uh, no. Make, make it make noise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, I don't care. Is it on? <laughs> I don't care about that shit. But you have to respect that, though, because getting bogged down with stuff like yeah. that, I think would could stifle your creativity right it's the same thing like you have the two people i saw this meme about musicians where one person is like no you need to know all the musical theory to do anything and the other person's like when i put my fingers like this it sounds good <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> 
But on a podium is a thick old book that Birat guesses is written in Latin. The priest confirms this, but it's not only Latin. It's also Coptic, Greek, and just numbers. It's distorted by constantly being rewritten as in on top of Mm -hmm. the first text. And then this combined with the languages make it very difficult to translate. Is it odd that they went to the book before the container? Because I'd be like, yeah, kind of. I'm sorry, what the on, fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> Birak asks what it is, and the priest confirms as we look at the vial. It is a secret that can no longer be kept. He asks if Birak feels it, and he admits that he does feel something. The priest says it wasn't like this. In the last month, there's been a change. A change to the earth and to the sky. It's his power. I'm like, now who is he? Yeah. yeah. Now, see, now you're a guy. (laughs) (laughs) But back on campus, Catherine and Walter walk to class talking about the paradox of Schrodinger's cat, who is both alive and dead at the same time until its state is confirmed by seeing it. The state of the cat only materializes into reality when it's observed. And I love thought experiments like this, but they also hurt my brain. (laughs) Yeah. Because, well, in all fairness, I. Mom doesn't like it when I say this, but anyone who's not directly in front of me could be dead. I don't know. No, it's right. true. And I always used to say that if somebody, if I hadn't seen somebody in a long time, I would say, I, I hope they're still alive. And people would be like, Renee, yeah. I'm like, I said, I hope they're alive. Right. Do you want me to say the opposite? Yeah. <laughs> Pick your battles. I don't know why you're so mean to your friends. Yeah. And then I slap them. Yeah. No, it's just, uh, it's true in a very creepy way. Yeah, it's like just don't look. Yeah. <laughs> just don't look. Uh, my only hope is that whatever state the, that the cat's happy. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's all we can hope for. That's all I care about. But Walter says that doesn't make any sense, and Catherine agrees. It doesn't make logical sense because logical sense breaks down at a subatomic level, which is exactly what Birak said. Walter questions why he even wants a degree in this, <laughs> but remembers that he wants to be a millionaire at forty, and then they laugh. I'm in the wrong field. Right. right. No shit. Is it too late to start over? Well, dude's 40. Well, Brian's on campus. doing yeah, it. Let's, yeah. Let's get it done. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> but when they finally approach Birak's class, Brian, Kelly, and Mullins are standing outside. The classroom is locked, but there's a note with the list of names of students who Birak wants to come and see him. Their names are all on the list. And Brian says that he heard Birak wants them to cancel all their weekend plans. Kelly and Mullins chime in that they'll be joined by biochemists and someone who can translate Latin. But instead of being intrigued by this, Walter's just pissed because he had serious plans for the weekend. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd be kind of mad, too. Well, yeah. Like, I'm just signed up for the program. You didn't tell me I had to do weekend shit. Yeah. I mean, I get that, but something serious must be going on. If you have somebody, if you have biochemists coming. But if you have actual biochemists coming, why the fuck do you need us? We're just right. students, students. That, <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You guys are just studying this mm-hmm. show. Yeah. This better be an automatic A, beer. Yeah. Well, he kind of alludes to that later. That is true. He's like, it'll be in your best interest. Yes, sir. But <laughs> You got it, boss. <laughs> but he storms off, followed by Kelly and Mullins, who tell him he has to be at Birak's office at four. Brian stays behind with Catherine, big surprise, and they say that their only plans this weekend were to study. He introduces himself and she says she knows his name. They shake hands and she introduces herself to which he replies, I know. But <laughs> when she says it, she says it like, oh, yeah, I know you were yeah, in the same yeah. class. Yeah. He says it like he's about to serial kill her. <laughs> 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 
And he's it's like, unnerving. and I'm never washing his <laughs> hand. It's like a tight shot on his face. It is. I know. It's just his mustache. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, run, bitch. Dude, it's bad. But the thing is, is that as soon as it's just them, he has a look on his face like, fucking finally. Yeah. Well, like, it's, it's the implication. <laughs> it yeah. is. It is. Now, you've said that word. Yeah. <laughs> But they walk outside and discuss their fields. Brian is here for theoretical physics and asks why she's taking Birak for theoretical when she's doing applied physics. She says she wants to understand the math and that she's read Birak's books and finds him brilliant. We cut to them sitting together and Catherine admits that right when she thinks she's got the theoretical side of physics visualized, it all vanishes and all she sees is classical reality again. She says she just wants to be able to put it in a little box, but whenever she tries, it slithers out. If she didn't say Slithers, that would have been Schrodinger's cat that she's talking yeah. about. Yeah. No, it's Schrodinger's snake. <laughs> <laughs> Suggestive. <laughs> but acting like he's trying to help her understand, he says that theoretical physicists wonder why no one who looks like her is ever at their end of the building. Mm. She tells him that that's sexist, and he's like, yeah, man, sexist and proud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then she gets like upset, obviously, but I don't understand why he doesn't get her no, reaction. he's like, yeah. what's your problem? He, yeah. <laughs> he literally is like, I'm a sexist, LOL. What's wrong? Wow, yeah. what a bitch. <laughs> but Are yeah. we supposed to not like Brian? I know. <laughs> but when she gets annoyed with him, he's like, wow, what happened? He says she can get romantic about numbers, but she clams up when it comes to people. And he wasn't talking about people. He was just like, you hot. Why are you here? <laughs> She tells him it's not his fault and then apologizes to him. Mm -hmm. Which, why? Stop it. But when she gets up to leave, he asks her to wait and if they can just start over. He says he was hoping he could help her with theory over dinner. She says maybe they can make that happen. And there are other things that he could help her with over dinner, which I found suggestive. But yeah. Over dinner? Maybe after dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let our food go down for yeah, a minute. Um, you into food play, girl? <laughs> <laughs> See, this is where I, <laughs> I came to the conclusion that his mustache was real. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> I promised you the whole time I was like, that's got to be fake. I was yeah, like, that's man, fucking He's there. not even listening to the words. He's no, just he staring at his watching. <laughs> Like, that's gonna fall off like, I <laughs> there's probably some outtakes where it <laughs> but because but because like you said because they close up to his face yeah <laughs> i was like damn it looks it's like strong. it's strong like, no, yeah, we in this it's, bit. but it's real <laughs> doing some ned flanders cosplay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they got the idea have you seen prince of darkness right? yeah <laughs> but we cut to Catherine, brian walter kelly and mullins sitting in birak's office as he tells them that he volunteered their services to the archdiocese thanks brah yeah the clout that Birak must have for them to not yeah. be like, yeah. we're taking this to the dean. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's bullshit. They said he's a genius. Yeah. yeah. But he says they're all each good physicists, even though they don't have their degrees yet. And like I said earlier, helping him will make their averages go up. How much? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need at least 10 points. Right. <laughs> But he lets them know that they are eating and sleeping at the church. He says cots. Yeah. He says cots. And I'm like, can you, I'm going to say that slower because I'm going <laughs> to yeah. take this to the dean. Because <laughs> he said cots. May I take notes, please? Uh, yes. But Brian finally speaks up and asks why he won't just tell them exactly what they're going to be doing. And Birak tells him that they will know in time. 
We cut to Birak walking up to the church with the suitcases, but stops when he sees a homeless woman credited as Bag Lady, played hmm. by Joanna Merlin, which is I don't feel like not very, no. you know, kind language, but she is actually the casting director for Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and again, just reusing yeah. people. Yeah. He's like, that's not even your department, but come here. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Speaking of not their department, we'll get to more oh of that God. in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Was she like fucking looking at the sky praying or something? Yes. Or? Yeah. Well, she looks up to the sky and bows before reaching her hands up. Yeah. And, but, that's not normal no, behavior. No. <laughs> I'd be worried. Well, yes. and he just noticed that there's some weird shit happening in the sky, and now she's like praying up yeah. to the sky. What are you doing? But yeah. even <laughs> worse, we zoom in on her face, and ants are crawling all over yeah. her. Now I feel like this might be important. <laughs> <laughs> so keep. So do your best to keep yeah. the bugs in mind. <laughs> Is she gonna be an ant agonist? <laughs> All right. I couldn't think of another one. Take it back. It's early. It is early. (laughs) But in an office in the church, the priest is going off, saying that common sense and logic is what allows him to live. He lives in the smallest parts of everything, smaller than atoms, the sum of every part. We zoom out to see that he's talking to Birak, who's just sitting and drinking coffee. (laughs) He's like, this is, like I said, it's too early early, for this, man. Let me get to my second cup. But the priest says that they have to translate the book and Birak has to prove it all scientifically so they can convince the world. No pressure. Again, it's good that they have that because if it's no offense, we all love Donald Pleasance here, Mm -hmm. but he's really bringing some Dr. Loomis Halloween energy to energy here. It's funny because when I was a kid, mom would always tell me, she's like, sometimes your arguments are sound, but it's the way that you emotionally present them that your argument gets lost. And I'm like, fucking Donald Pleasant, we see each <laughs> yeah. other. I'm like, I, we're the same. Because every time it's like It's theatrical. like, no, he's making yeah. sense, but you have to say six times. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just say, look, I shot him. So, like, just mellow out. Sheriff Brackett and Birak should go have a drink. <laughs> Can you fucking like, believe this? This is a lot. <laughs> but Birak says the world doesn't want to hear this bullshit. They've managed to keep this locked away for 2,000 years, and it's best to just keep doing that. But the priest says no prison can hold him now. The evil is gone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, again, the speaking cryptically hurts. It hurts your argument. Compose yourself. That's why and present it factually. That's why Birak's writing the book. Yeah, <laughs> and he's not a man. He's like, all right. He's an animal. In, yeah. It's in all caps. Yeah, a lot of exclamation points. I can't points. even. There's no punctuation. I can't read this. I don't have the energy to read this. <laughs> but that night, back on campus, Catherine leaves her building to find Brian waiting for her outside. She asks if he had a night class, and he's like, no, I was just at the library. And I was like, no, you no, weren't. No, you weren't. You were <laughs> in the fucking bushes. You yeah. were behind that tree. <laughs> but he says he was hoping she'd be open to having a cup of coffee with him again. And she's like, this is starting to become a habit, but all right. Yeah. And then they walk off together. A habit that he's lurking or? Yeah. <laughs> a habit that you're being a fucking creep. Yeah. <laughs> but we cut to Brian waking up next to her in the morning. I thought they were just going to have coffee. Uh, Yeah, I was confused about that as well. I didn't. I feel like we're. So here's here's where I'm conflicted. 
because on one hand, I feel like we're supposed to believe that time has passed because she's like, this is starting to be a habit. Right. Like, we keep having coffee together, dinner, whatever. Uh-huh. But they didn't start talking until after they knew that they were going to have to go to this church for the right. weekend and it's still the weekend and they haven't yeah. gone to the church yet. <laughs> so this is an ongoing habit, but like it's been a day. Yeah. So I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> See, as far as I know, this is like literally the day that they, yeah, like the next day. Yeah. So see, that's what I took it as. I was like, "Damn, that was a coffee, and then flesh." Fuck, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. flesh, sir. So my thing it's is, it's too early for that kind of like. I don't want to give anything away, of course, but this is very pressing. What is going on? Mm-hmm. So it makes sense for no time to have passed, right? For this to be the next day, you know, go get coffee or. I mean, well, he gave her the old flat white, but um, it's a beverage to Starbucks, but um, (laughs) it's not only a beverage to Starbucks, not in Prince of Darkness, (laughs) but I I just feel like, I mean, I don't want to say that the romance element is unnecessary. I would go so far as to say it's very necessary, but I think the way that they're doing it at this point, and it is necessary at a point. Right. Yeah. And I it, mean, and no spoilers, obviously, but to me, the fuckery of this relationship, the yeah. way that it's so poorly handled mm-hmm. kind of takes away from something that happens later. That's yeah. my issue. And so my thing is start the movie with them together. Yeah. Don't and they've do, been together. Don't do this no. little cute. Oh, she doesn't like him. Oh, now they fucking, or now they flush in. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, have them already together, have it an established relationship. And maybe we see a little bit of give and pull with their studies or yeah. I'm doing this and you're doing like, give them a little depth, but they're already together because this moves very quickly. Oh, We're in yeah. class one minute. We are spending the weekend at the church the next y'all did not have time to develop this. Yes. There is, And then something that he's about to say in a minute. No, no. Yeah. Like, let me, see, let me get there and then we'll get to that. Okay. Cause I did my, my thing that I was going to say is that I don't want to say that this is unnecessary because it, the, at a certain point it's very needed. Yes. Right. It's the execution of the beginning stages. There you go. You, you yeah. just, you can't have both. You no. can't have us meeting them as a couple, as they're becoming a couple and have it be impactful later, you can't have both. No. They had to already be a couple for it to be impactful later. So I know it sounds nitpicky, but it's kind of a big deal to me. Like that's probably the biggest drawback of this film is the way that their relationship is handled for me. You establish a history at the start. Yeah. Yeah. Say maybe they've been together for however many. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then how much more will moments later hit? Right. Majorly. And they hit later because you're like, oh, he's supposed to be feeling this way. But if yeah. you, oh, I was told if he you, liked yeah, her. If, yeah. <laughs> if you show us that, uh-huh. it, you know. But we'll get there. We'll get there. And then there would be no lurking. And then yeah. I would like Brian a little bit more if he wasn't yeah. hiding behind fucking trees and staring yeah. at this woman. He's already got the cool mustache. He's working against himself. <laughs> <laughs> but he walks out onto the porch and smiles until he looks up above the sun burning in the sky. We see that crescent of moon. He goes back inside and wakes Catherine with a cup of coffee. She says that they didn't get much sleep. And he's like, who needs it? She's like, we do. It's Friday. So I'm like, what? Yeah. Okay. He asks if he can tell her something and she tells him not to. She says, tell her next time if there is one or any time after that, or even two years from now, he's basically like, 
who hurt you? <laughs> yeah. She says she just doesn't want either of them to jump to conclusions. He asked how she knows what he was going to say. And she's like, well, if you don't, then I don't want to know. And then they kiss. So he was going to say, I love you is the right. Already. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, and and then, even if this happened at the beginning of the school week, the school week. Is, hey, he's well, no, working yeah. with no, what they gave him. Right. Even if this was it's at the beginning of the school the, week and then about we Tuesday or Wednesday, they're like, hey, we're going to need you on the weekend, clear your weekend, whatever. Okay, so you guys had three days to yeah. fall in love. <laughs> yes, it is Friday. Are, yeah, are you serious? It's Friday. Yeah. yeah. It's and Friday, I'm in love. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> it was the 80s. I mean, well, the yeah, care was very bro. big. <laughs> the flesh one time and then you're already. <laughs> He's like, this is it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me and my mustache. It's you, That's girl. That's all you needed. <laughs> And I do have to point out they're making out with their stink ass morning breath. Oh yeah, I hate that. You know what? That's another trope that's that's disgusting and yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Brush your goddamn <laughs> <laughs> But in an alley by the church, a whole group of homeless people, led by a man credited as street schizo, played by Alice Cooper. Hey, you're Alice yeah. Cooper. I was gonna say played by Alice. You're Alice Cooper. <laughs> Cooper look up at the sun slash moon combination in the sky and step out onto the street across from the church. I just want to say for people who don't know that story from talk mortem. Oh yeah. We were at fan expo Dallas. Alice Cooper walked for by, the first time for the first time. So we are not used to seeing all these famous people. Alice Cooper walked by closer than nay and JPR to me right now. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. The only thing I could think to do instinctively was to shout and point at Alice Cooper and say, you're Alice Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> to which he smiled and nodded. Yeah. I, I, am Alice. I am in fact, Alice Cooper. <laughs> I'm just glad he wasn't upset. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're just some country bumpkin. Exactly. <laughs> It's I seen you on the TV. <laughs> but we did see him on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Catherine and Kelly get out of a van at the church with Lisa, played by Ann Yen, and Susan, played by Anne Marie Howard. They see the group across the street, but they're like, meh, and just head inside. They shrug off the most terrifying yeah. tableau. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, they're, they don't look friendly at no. all. No. And you're just like, it's okay. <laughs> especially the coop up front yeah he the looks coop? evil yeah. yeah we're friends uh, now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i um my first thought would be because this church is supposed to be abandoned right right yeah i'd be like are they staying here yeah and we're fucking around in their house that's what i would think but they're just like <laughs> let's go inside girls it's yeah. just weird it's very weird and look i look for threats everywhere <laughs> head on a swivel head oh, on a yeah. swivel Ocular pat downs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ocular pat downs for all. Mm -hmm. And so if I see that, I'm going to Birak and saying, I don't know if this is proper. Yeah. Or maybe somebody should go talk to them and ask if we're messing with their situation. Right. Like something's going, they're not standing like that for no reason. No, that's, that's how they say hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we see more people show up to the church and they start bringing equipment inside. Inside, though, the women are not thrilled with the accommodations in the form of cots, even though they were told that it was going to be cots. He made it clear. Yeah. I already went to the dean about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is where we find out that the church was abandoned before this. Susan says that her husband's parents used to come here and they're not sure why it was shut down because it was a beautiful church. 
Dr. Paul Leahy, played by Peter Jason, arrives and introduces himself to Brian, who points him in Birak's direction. We follow Dr. Leahy through all the equipment being set up in the main part of the church. Birak is very happy to see him and tells him he can set up by their makeshift lab. Leahy asks what exactly they're doing here, but he gets no answer. Birak just walks off. (laughs) (laughs) I respected Leahy because he's the only one asking the real question. Yeah, what are we doing? Because we're setting up a bunch of shit. After seeing all that equipment, it's like, what is this even going to be used for? What the hell? Wyndham, played by Robert Grasmere, and Etchinson, played by Tom Bray, bring a box of equipment into an office where Susan is. Wyndham is jealous that Etchinson gets to leave, but Etchinson is covering for Dr. Leahy for some extra credit course. They're both creepy to Susan as she leaves. Wyndham identifies her as a radiologist before they lament over the fact that she is very married. Well, he's like, how married? Yeah, he does. Very. It's like, does she hate her husband, man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leahy comes in and tells Etchinson to set up an area for testing. But when questioned about what they're going to be testing, even whether it's compounds or just basic elements, Leahy has no idea. He's like, hammies are dried up on the table. Get to work. I said set up the area. Yeah. I Again, this is based on the clout of Birak. Yeah, right. all of it. Because yeah. I, I don't know how far my respect for someone would go without telling me what the fuck is going right. on. And you know this shit isn't cheap. Oh, it's yeah. the no. 80s. All this equipment they got set <laughs> oh up in God. there. Oh, my God. But Kelly checks in on Catherine as she's setting up her computer in, I guess, an office. It's at this point that I noticed that Kelly has been eating something in every single scene that she's been in. Oh, really? Mm. She's eating in the classroom. She's eating in the office. She's eating here. She's snacking every time oh, we see her. Okay. Was she Brad Pitt? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> he eats in every movie. I... He does. Yeah. But back downstairs, Walter walks through the makeshift lab to Brian, who's staring out the window. He starts to complain about having to break his date that he had this weekend, but Brian is not listening to him. Walter follows his gaze and we see a few of the homeless people standing outside the building and looking up at them. Calder, played by Jesse Lawrence Ferguson and Lomax, played by Ken Wright, come over with Wyndham and say that they've been doing that outside since 9 a.m. when they got there. They all introduce themselves to each other along with their fields. Calder with the dulcet tones. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone else is like, my name's Lomax. And he's like, I'm Calder. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> this guy means to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but their fields are microbiology engineering and biochemistry Uh, when i hear that i'm like why are we all of us here just more and more confusion and yeah terror yes yeah but they all agree to the fact that none of them have any idea of what this is about in another room lisa tells birak that she's getting a doctorate in theology specifically in analyzing ancient scripture so everything but the numbers in this book should be easy for her She opens the giant book and gets started translating into the computer. Birak watches as she types, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you this thing which shall be unleashed. I'm already out. (laughs) You've lost me. I'm done. I did hear from Carpenter on the commentary. As these like scriptures continue, he Mm -hmm. said uh, that none of it's real from the Bible. He's like, it's, good. yeah, I know, <laughs> <laughs> but he made me laugh because he goes, yeah, there's a lot of weird shit in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you can say that again, Carp. Yeah, uh, think not we're, Carp. We're also friends. <laughs> Carp and Coop. Carp and Coop. But outside, we get a shot of Alice Cooper and his gang watching the priest exit a car and walk up to the church. 
he turns to see more homeless people lined up on the street watching him. When he looks up to the sky, the sliver of moon is still hanging up there over the sun. So, first of all, the shots that we see of the sky mm-hmm. with the, I guess, moon and sun right. yeah. hanging out, co-mingling. Yeah. It's a matte painting. Whoa. Oh. Mind blown. Yeah. yeah. It literally looks like, I'm like, I don't know how they did this. Yeah. But. yeah I thought the same shit. <laughs> yeah. Who they have uh, in their pocket cosmically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but good job. But they, the way that they kept doing the shots, they showed the group over there. Then he looked over and you see another line. Mm-hmm. When he looked up, I was expecting to see them on the power lines like the birds. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait, that's right. The moon and shit. It's yeah. all fucked up. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense. But he heads toward the church and nearly bumps into Bag Lady, who is suddenly standing right in front of him. In a distorted voice, she tells him that what he's doing, opening the church back up, is wonderful. She bends down and I was like, is she about to? (laughs) I said, I hope she's going to grab his hand. (laughs) Lady, it's like, God damn. (laughs) But she doesn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) What a fucking movie. (laughs) She's like, you're doing a great job. I'm like, oh my God. No, we would not have watched this as kids (laughs) if that were the case. It's like they're doing this like religious science thing and then this lady just bends down and... (laughs) And... I'm not gonna say that. <laughs> Everybody knows what we were we, thinking. Yeah, we yeah. But we're she disgusting. Does, you know, right? she, she doesn't do that. She rubs her face against the hem of his coat, and the priest looks up to see that the cup she's holding is full of worms and something that looks like pus. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what that, that was. was in there. I don't want to know what that was in there. I I don't want to be judgmental because we all got to get our protein somehow, but. <laughs> This is unsettling. This yeah. Isn't the way. <laughs> right, clean those worms, then eat them. Exactly. Yes. Right. Wash them off. You know. It was the the wet thing for me. Yeah. Thing. Eat your worms. That's fine. I I don't know what that was. Dink it and sink it. Yeah. <laughs> Dink it and sink it. But uh, he looked horrified. As he should. Yes. Once inside, Birak immediately gets in his face and is like, "Are you okay?" Because <laughs> he does look disturbed. Yeah. But once he says he is, they head downstairs with Brian, Walter, Lomax, and Wyndham following. They join everyone else who's already downstairs staring at the giant swirling tube. The priest remarks that he is gaining strength because he can feel it all around them now. I'd be like, can he go upstairs? (laughs) (laughs) So this was something that I enjoyed as well, because in other movies, they would have just told them what like a vague what was happening and then you figure it out yeah they're letting them i totally to agree this, yeah and you're getting hands-on not just uh uh stuff's happening figure it out yeah like what are you you're giving us nothing to work on or like just giving them enough information yeah to get, yeah no they're like look yeah. so just so we're all on the right. same page we're confused help yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but later in her office lisa continues to translate mystery babylon the great the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth she looks troubled by what she's written in her office Catherine is working on her computer and putting numbers and equations when she looks up to see that there's worms on the corner of the window if i were them i'd be assuming that the people outside just threw a handful threw of worms that's a, that's what it looks like they, it know. looks like somebody just grabbed a handful of dirt right. and threw it at the window. Just a little bit of uh, vandalism. A worm, mm-hmm. worm heavy dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very fertile dirt we got out here. Yeah. But 
Etchinson, who didn't go downstairs, sits in his office as Calder and Wyndham come back in. He asks what's wrong with them. Wyndham looks angry and Calder sits down looking like he's literally having an existential crisis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says there's something downstairs, but Wyndham's like, this is all bullshit and storms out, which I think are both really valid reactions yeah. for what they've just been shown. And uh, not to use the word implications again, <laughs> but the implications of what this is, because nobody has outright said this is blank, uh-huh. right. but it's like, let's read between the lines here. Mm-hmm. This is not something good. And this is not something good in a religious sense. Right. Yeah. But see, that's what I'm saying. That's what made it. I guess that's why I like this. Mm hmm. Because it's not just uh, we're going to tell you and you figure it out and you never get to see it. Yeah. They actually got to see what yeah. was happening. Yeah. What we're and testing. And this is how they feel. So it's not just how you feel about what you're being told. You're seeing this shit. You've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But back in the tube room, <laughs> Walter and Kelly stand staring at it. And this is when Kelly literally has like an uncooked hot dog in her hand that she's eating. <laughs> Is like that? the weenie, not not the bread. She's just the holding fuck? it. She um, so she's eating in every in her pocket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she doesn't have to touch him. Yeah, no greasy fingers. Yeah, it's actually a good system. <laughs> but Kelly asks why they haven't just opened it and allowed them to take direct samples. They look at a computer setup, and Brian confirms that these are the numerical equations that Catherine is translating and entering upstairs. I understand the desire to get these samples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm on a volunteer basis here. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere near that thing. No. But no, she's like, why <laughs> oh, Why no. haven't they gotten the samples? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they identify them as differential equations. But that book was written 2000 years ago. And Walter points out that differential equations hadn't been invented yet. Brian's like, exactly. Hmm. Which is horrifying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Brian goes back to his work and Walter and Kelly stare at the tube. Kelly starts to back up and ends up knocking her arm into one of the machines that they've set up. Upstairs, Catherine comes back into the room with Mullins and now there are worms covering the entire window. That's when I'd be worried. Oh, yeah. yeah. And when we zoom in, it looks like they're moving backwards. Yeah. The worms? Yeah. This is getting out of hand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Back in Lisa's room, she types, and the Prince of Darkness himself sealed that old life called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. She and Barak look at each other like, what the fuck? (laughs) You sure about that translation, man? (laughs) It's getting pretty dark. I'm sure it's anything but that, right, Lisa? I'm sure it's definitely not that, right? (laughs) You said we all, it's going to be sunshine, right? (laughs) Susan comes in and tells Birek that the lid on the tube has an elaborate locking mechanism so they won't be able to open it. In fact, it looks like it can only be open from the inside. And I don't know why she's delivering this like it's good news. Yeah. Literally, when she said it can only be open from the inside, it's almost like... We're fucked? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and pack up. (laughs) This is none of our business. Let's get out of here. Whatever happens, happens. But we get a shot outside of the homeless people gathering and pacing outside of the church. Inside, Leahy grabs a bunch of snacks and starts making trumpet noises. Yeah. We're getting a pretty good sound out of that no. guy. <laughs> really good. I heard on commentary because he was the one on commentary with Carpenter. Yeah. He had said that that was because he was joking about how Carpenter didn't let him get any of his ideas into the film. Yeah. And Carpenter's like, "There, I let you do the trumpet thing. <laughs> 
Because he had just been doing that on set. Yeah. And He's Carpenter's good at it. like, well, do it in the movie. Yeah. Have you? <laughs> he just did that to shut him up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look, I gave you the trumpets. Right. For me, it works because it gives him some kind of character. Yeah, yeah. it does. But Walter's having his dinner and watching Tom and Jerry. In this episode of Tom and Jerry, Tom plummets to hell and the devil uses a pitchfork to keep him in a pot of boiling <laughs> liquid while he laughs and Tom screams. Yeah. So first of all, this is some itchy and scratchy level of <laughs> yeah. like yes. plot relevance. But the other thing is that they said on commentary they had to pay a lot of coin to have this in the film. Well, well, I mean, it's Tom and Jerry. Yeah. And I mean, because Carpenter said that he had watched this one as a kid and he always remembered it. Yeah. And it fits, obviously, what's going on here. It does. But it's Tom and Jerry, man. Yeah. <laughs> but Walter gets up and turns off the TV. He's like, that's enough of that. Yeah. It's like, you hear what fucking Lisa's putting in that book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we see Kelly looking out the window at a group of the homeless people staring up at them. She says that her friend did a study on chronic schizophrenic people. These people are supposed to have habitual routines that they complete every 20 or so minutes. But she's been watching them all day and they're not doing any routines. They're just standing there. I don't appreciate the implication that schizophrenic equals homeless. Yeah. Homeless equals like, the. where are you getting? What was your sample? I'm yeah. I, None of this makes sense. She's like, because obviously all of these people are schizophrenic. Yes. It's like, what? No. Yeah. Like, no, just street schizo played yeah. by Alice Cooper. It's which, his name. It's, <laughs> it's his name. I still can't believe that's his name. No. Unbelievable. Well, I guess you have bag lady, so they weren't really being the best. Oh, yeah. Not very sympathetic. It was the 80s. It was. But Walter says, with everything they're going through, let them stand where they want. Kelly brings his attention to a giant bruise on her arm, and she says it hurts a lot. Walter says it's probably just nerves, but Kelly points out you don't get a bruise from nerves. Yeah. Well, she bumped her arm. Yeah, but I but think the other she, side. I was thinking, right. she bumped the other side of her arm. But maybe that was just like this know. bitch is clumsy, so like she could have uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure either. She fell on the way in this morning. Maybe <laughs> I don't know, man. But Walter says he broke out from homosexual panic when he was twelve and then just walks away. I feel like they use Walter a lot for comedic relief, and right. I don't know if they're saying that Walter's gay or if they're just using being gay for a joke. It happens a lot. I and I cuz even yeah. Brian Brian says something about him yeah. later. It's weird. I wish they would have just not done it. Either not done it at all or just have Walter be gay. I don't know. It's yeah, like it's I very did, weird. I was confused. It's, I had no idea what was like going on. It's like if you're just on. doing that for a joke like that's like boo. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> fucking lame. It's very 80s. Uh again. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I did read something about somebody saying that i can't remember it was some critic i think his name is mir if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. i breezed past it on wikipedia mm -hmm. but he had kind of written a critical analysis that put prince of darkness as almost an allegory for aids hmm. but a lot of people also said that it that the thing was allegorical for aids in the 80s as well so I don't know if it was like... If it is, it is in the same way. Yeah. I don't. I think that Carpenter just plays with these themes and people are like, oh, he's doing it again. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know that that I think, was the intention. I don't think it was the intention at all, but I can very easily see how some it of the things... It could be interpreted for sure. Especially how they happen in the movie. And I was going to say, the more you think about it, the more it does make sense. Right. Yeah. And then the fact that he had said panic and all that stuff... It was that stupid idea in the 80s. Yeah. So it's like, I can see where you're getting that idea. Yeah. I just wanted to bring it up because it was it's not just this one-off 
comment like it's mm-hmm. kind of a recurring thing and it, it i don't know it's just it's odd and it stops you you're like wait what what yeah yeah because it's uncomfortable yeah now. because yeah i i had asked your sister because like i said i was like i don't understand i said what 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 i was like what yeah. is it what was he talking he's about supposed to be the comic relief i feel yeah. he's the funny the only one kind of that says anything funny right or yeah, like, that's true so I'm. Um, oh, you're not know, getting just, it from the priest. You're no. not. <laughs> <laughs> Look elsewhere. Yes. But anyway, Leahy, still blowing his trumpet, comes in to relieve Etchinson. Etchinson tells him that he could only guess the acidity based on the corrosion samples he was given. Leahy tells him it couldn't possibly be that high, but that was the best guess he could get with what he was given. Outside, Etchinson leaves the building and looks nervous as he walks down the stairs on the side of the building. We see that he's looking at a crucified bird set up on the landing for him to see. I didn't know if that bird was like Rickety Cooper saying, (laughs) (laughs) this, you're next, you know, I don't know. Yeah, Or maybe it was just another nod to Hitchcock. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) He can't stop. But he looks into the alley and here comes Alice Cooper armed with a broken back half of a bike. Etchinson turns to go back inside, but there's a group standing in his way to go back up the stairs. He's fucked now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're done. Why not try to hop that fence? Yeah, it's not that high. It isn't. And it's literally (laughs) chain link. So you could climb. Yeah. Well, he he didn't think ahead. Fair enough. He goes to try to get past Alice Cooper, but Alice Cooper impales him with the bike. Blood sprays and Etchinson falls forward and Alice Cooper just looks up at his friends like Yeah. We Job did well it, done. He's like, yeah. School's out for the summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> School's out for forever. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make it scary. Um I did want to point out that the executive producer of this film was Alice Cooper's manager. Uh Makes it make sense. And so apparently he had always wanted to be in a horror film. Right. John Carpenter met Alice Cooper at WrestleMania. Yeah. There you go. And backstage, they talked about this project and Cooper had been using an apparatus on stage where he would either get impaled or impale someone else. Right. And so (laughs) man, rock shows were the shit. (laughs) Cooper wanted to be in the film. So Carpenter said, you can totally be in the film if we can use that apparatus. Bring your bike. Yeah. <laughs> BYOB. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's what's in the film. All that's right, so cool. That's cool. But it works. Yeah. It does. Like, because it seems like it's just something that he picked up. Right. Or, you know, like. Just something that's there. It yeah. works. I think in concert, it was his mic stand. Oh, nah. all right. <laughs> Which makes sense. But back inside, Brian pulls Birak to the side and shaken up tells him that nothing anywhere should be able to do what it is doing. Birak tries to get him to just be quiet and go back to work, but Brian spells it out. A life form is growing out of prebiotic fluid. It's self-organizing and becoming something, and Brian wants to know what. Birak says the hardest thing for anyone to hear is something they don't agree with. He hands Brian a piece of paper, and Brian reads it out loud. I saw a star fall from heaven unto the bottomless pit, and he was cast out as water from the flood. He stops reading and stares at Birak and is like, this is crazy. <laughs> well, that's got to be tough to hear. Yeah. yeah. Especially whenever this, again, a man of science. Yeah. This yes. is all very, this very. This isn't Dr. Loomis coming yeah. out. Like... 
But Susan comes down into the tube room where Mullins is working alone. She's in awe. She's been carbon dating the corrosion on the lid of the tube and hasn't been down here to actually see it yet. But it dated back 7 million years. So you're telling me something's growing and it's old? <laughs> yeah. No, we're packing it up. Yeah. yeah. Old as fuck. Yeah. No, no, thank no. you. Million. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that when? No, longer is when dinosaurs were rocking about, right? I don't know, man. Like sometimes, <laughs> like ask Birak. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but that's try Birak. Don't try me. <laughs> that's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, because we were just talking two thousand years. Yes, that's this is much worse. But Mullins is headed out and asks if she wants him to wait for her, but she tells him to go on ahead. Rookie and, mistake. Yeah, and he does. Susan stares at the tube. We see Mullins leaving and go back to Susan, who hears dripping noises. We zoom in on the lid of the tube to see that there is dripping. Liquid from the lid is dripping up to the ceiling, which it has no business doing. No, gravity is a thing. Yeah. It should be. (laughs) This obviously was achieved by just flipping the camera. Backwards, yeah. Upside down, yeah. You can see it, but it's still creepy. The way, you know what it is, is when... She looks up. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's just an upside down camera, but it's goddamn frightening. It is. Oh, yeah. But back in the lab, Lisa explains to Birak, the priest, Brian, Wyndham, and Leahy that a section of the book is a part of history. She says part of it was like someone was trying to erase it. Calder and Walter join as she says that the history starts with the container being buried in the Middle East eons ago by the father of Satan. (laughs) No big deal. No. He walked the earth before man, but ended up being banished to the dark side. The part where someone was trying to erase was that the father of Satan buried his son inside the container. So this is technically the Antichrist. Yeah. Right. Anti-God. Yes. Son of the Anti-God. Yes. I love that when Lisa's reading it, she's like, now it gets pretty wild here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's like, you're going to hold on to your tits tits because... (laughs) (laughs) But Kelly and Catherine join as Lisa says that later Christ came to warn them and that his ancestry was extraterrestrial but human-like. So I absolutely love this. Yeah. Because please nobody come for me, but this is way more believable. Oh, that Jesus was an alien? Right. Why is that more believable? Because it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, I, feel I mean, like... I would believe someone came, try to help us or show us the way, whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not from here. Let's kill him. Absolutely. And then people came back or the aliens came back and took him. That's uh-huh. what you've seen flying in the sky. This dude came to try to help you. You fucked him off. Now we're going to let you fuck yourself off. What, what gets me is she says it like such a footnote. We never revisit this again. Right. No. And I just see him as Mr. Burns when he's like, I bring you <laughs> <Yeah>. love. <laughs> Homer is a dope. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's funny that the more fantastical it is, is oddly more believable. Yeah. Yeah. But back in the tube room, Susan slowly approaches and it seems like the substance is swirling faster now. She's mesmerized until a table jerks forward loudly, scaring her. I'm gone. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're hoofing it upstairs and Warren telling the others that some shit's Warren going down. T- yeah. No, uh, if by upstairs, yeah, if <laughs> yeah. by upstairs you mean out the fucking door, then <laughs> yeah. yes, we're going upstairs. That's true. Well, I don't want to end up like that bird. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Forget Etchinson. Just, yeah. We're oh, just yeah. worried about the bird. <laughs> well, the bird seemed we nice. See- <laughs> 
We see more of the backwards dripping and Susan's eyes follow it to reveal a pool of green liquid suspended in the ceiling that the drops are traveling up to. That's where you got me. Yeah, no mm. thanks. Suddenly, liquid shoots out from the pool and goes directly into Susan's wide open mouth. <laughs> she she opened it. She's like, yeah. ah. <laughs> "Is this in the shower, dude? Like, yeah. <laughs> why would you do that?" Susan coughs and screams. So I didn't know if this was. I mean, you know, I I'm not a religious person, mm-hmm. but I know in the Bible that the devil kind of appears as a snake, right? And cobras spit venom. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Is that a you know Maybe. what I mean? Because otherwise, all this Gleekin is like <laughs> not Gleekin. I thought he was just spitting mad. <laughs> <laughs> He's a spitfire, fire the devil. Hey. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Remember when people used to Gleek all the time in yeah, high school? Yeah, disgusting, dude. I hope they're having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the lab, Lisa continues that people thought Christ was crazy, but he was still getting a lot of followers, so they killed him. She says his disciples keep the secret from the rest of civilization until man could develop a science sophisticated enough to prove Christ's claims. What sucks, though, is like if only they'd made it to 2020, they'd know that people aren't really interested in science. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lost cause, friends. Nobody's going to believe you regardless. (laughs) Leahy asked how the Catholic Church was able to keep this hidden for 2,000 years, and the priest said there was a decision made to exhibit pure evil as a spiritual force within man. This kept man at the center of things, but it was a stupid lie, and at the end of the day, they were just salesmen selling their product. They rewarded themselves and punished their enemies so that they could live with their truth. But the truth is, it was a malevolent substance that was asleep until now. God damn it. I, again, his authority as yeah. an actor, mm-hmm. yeah. he sells it so well. Yeah. No, the, the you shut up. Like, if this yeah. dude's talking, yeah. shut your mouth and listen. And they and do. Listen. And the yeah. camera even gets closer. Yeah. They're like, okay, this guy. <laughs> They're like, what now? Fucking panic light in. <laughs> I um love this shot of all of them there. Yeah. I don't know why. There's just something about it. I don't think it is, but now just sitting here thinking about it, it makes you almost think of The Last Supper. Oh, oh shit. All right. Interesting. I think it's in this scene, too. Calder does a couple things just in the background. Hmm. And I think it's this scene where as Lisa is reading, you know, or telling the story of her transcriptions or whatever, mm-hmm. he crosses himself. Hmm. And there's no... What called her? You're religious. Like yeah. there's, there's no none of that. He's Loud just, and proud, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Loud Sexist and proud. and proud of it. <laughs> um, but I, it, it feeds into something that we see later, mm-hmm. and I just feel like it's super. I don't know. I'm sure it was John Carpenter. I don't know if it was him or the actor, but it's just a really great touch. Right. Yeah. Or maybe it was a uh, Quatermass. I yeah. think it was Quatermass. <laughs> yeah. But Susan lays on the ground of the tube room, choking and struggling to breathe. Back in the lab, they spread out and Barak asks Brian to help him clear the room because the others shouldn't hear what's being said. Brian remarks that faith is hard to come by these days before showing Barak results on a machine. So I thought this was a reference to the thing because he told Blair trust is a hard thing to come by these oh, days yeah. i'm like is there a line in in the mouth of madness that they books also are a hard yeah. thing to come by? <laughs> 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 fucking sutter kane <Yeah. laughs> but i mean i know it's a loose trilogy maybe yeah. these are the ties that bind right, right. i'm definitely gonna be paying attention the next time i watch in the yeah. mouth of madness mm-hmm. 
But he says the tube downstairs just exhibited a big burst of energy, <laughs> almost like something was being shot into someone's <laughs> mouth. <laughs> but he says it was directed in a straight line with the precision of less than a millisecond. Walter comes over appalled that everyone is taking this so seriously. He's like, are you guys too? And they just stare at him like, are you fucking for real, dude? <laughs> but downstairs, her glasses now lost. Susan calmly rises and looks up at the tube. Back in the office, Catherine asks if they're all just supposed to go back to work. And Kelly's like, well, what do you want to do? Get a wreath of garlic, a benediction, a crucifix? Garlic is always. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll always take garlic. Right. <laughs> Catherine says, maybe it is old scratch knocking at the door. What an affectionate nickname for the devil. Yeah. I know. I love it. I don't know why. I, I used to think that I wanted to be called the shape, but old scratches. <laughs> it's not too bad. But back in the lab, Brian tells Birak that a seismic vibration happened in the metal of the tube and it was strong. There was some kind of kinetic emission that came from it. He says if it can transmit a signal strong enough and Birak finishes, it could move objects instantaneously and across a distance. Psychokinesis. Birak's like, now don't be telling nobody about this. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian asserts that they have a right to know that it's conscious. That word is horrifying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Birak says they can't say anything until they're positive that that's what it was and not just a power surge or a draft of air. And Brian reluctantly is like, okay, fine. Carpenter had said on commentary that the psychokinesis angle came from a story that he heard about a girl that I guess had moved something. He goes, I, I didn't believe it, but... Was it Carrie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he oh, read, book I read. He read, <laughs> Carrie. read Carrie. He's like, I, I read it, but I didn't believe it. But I thought it sounded cool. <laughs> Just bullshit your way yeah. through a film, man. But we cut to the hallway where Walter is walking around and eating an apple. And now that you mentioned that about the serpent, I'm like, Oh, apple? shit. Yeah. Hmm. Because the apple is pointless. Yeah, because right. he throws it away in two seconds. Two bites, little... <laughs> Yeah, what a waste don't, do don't do that. But Susan steps into the view at the other end of the hallway. He's like, you just missed the history lesson. And she just stands there staring at him. This is a pet peeve in horror films for me. Because they're just like, oh, come on, Susan, whatever. Yeah, yeah she's literally parked there like the people outside. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right. You have seen this behavior. Yeah, but he was just looking out the window with Kelly. He was. Damn it, Walter. But he tells her she's not going to believe what's going on. And she still says nothing. He's like, whatever. And goes into another room where Lisa stands looking out the window and he throws the apple away and then gets a drink out of the cooler. Now, this is the other thing besides his comments earlier. He jokes to Lisa that she could pass for Asian and then she gets annoyed and leaves. Yeah, I, I didn't understand. I'm very I don't get the joke. confused by that as well. I don't know. Because Mullins comes in and he's like, what's wrong with her? And Walter's like, she has no sense of humor. And maybe, I'm like, that was a joke? Maybe your jokes suck, man. <laughs> maybe yeah, your jokes are I don't, awful. <laughs> it's like one of like, I used, I used to watch Bill Maher. I, I fucking hate Bill Maher now. But that was one thing that always bothered me about him is whenever the crowd didn't get his jokes, he would attack the crowd. Uh, it's like, maybe, maybe your jokes your joke suck man. ass, man. <laughs> that's, that's gross. Yeah. But Mullins asks if Walter has seen Susan and Walter's like, oh, she was just standing right out in the hall. They go to look, but Susan's not there. It's funny that they're weirded out that she's not there. Like she's just supposed to be posted up. She wasn't <laughs> even doing anything. She's no, just standing there. Maybe she had used the bathroom. <laughs> but Mullins says that someone should tell her about what they learned. But Walter's like, we're all just stroking ourselves. It's like, OK, Walter, he's got to be crude. Yeah. yeah. But Mullins leaves Walter and rounds the corner where Susan was standing, going back downstairs. Susan stands in the hallway leading to the tube room. But when Mullins shines his flashlight in her direction and calls out to her, she just walks away. 
I'm like, this is a human, not a raccoon. Like, <laughs> if somebody behaves that way next to that thing, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. That's your business. That has. I met you today. That has nothing to do with me. But nay, she's how married is she? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because every time somebody mentions her, they go radiologist glasses. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, they did, say it like three times. Did she not make an impression on anyone? <laughs> Who the fuck is Susan? <laughs> But upstairs, Brian stands next to the window where a curtain is drawn, but you can still see the outline of the worms. He tells Catherine that there's more to all of this. And immediately, because Birak's like, don't tell anybody. He's like, Catherine, yeah. dude, listen to this shit. I was like, weren't you just told? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. This is your wife this or is, whatever. Yeah. Right, so right. They're deeply in love. That's so right. respect the love story. Okay? They met on Monday, folks. <laughs> At best. <laughs> At best. But he immediately spills the tea about the power that was directed outward from the tube. Catherine asks what it's doing. And Brian says it's reaching out, influencing and changing things. It's moving things by thought. It's an intelligent cause other than man. Every time they take a moment to break down what is happening, it gets scarier and scarier. Maybe we should stop talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time. Yeah, it should. (laughs) Back in the tube room, Mullins walks in and calls out to Susan. He slowly walks up the carpet toward the tube and finds Susan's glasses on the ground. One of the machines starts to beep frantically and Mullins goes to investigate it. As he leans forward, we see Susan behind him. The beeping becomes more erratic. The machine's like, dude, behind you. (laughs) (laughs) But Mullins starts to turn towards Susan. But before he can, she breaks his neck and he falls to the ground. Now you're dead. Yeah. Good job. (laughs) Now you got a lot of I did not expect the neck crack. No. No, it just takes him out. But in an office upstairs, Birak asked the priest to suppose that this is all correct. There's a universal mind controlling the behavior of every subatomic particle. Now, every particle has an antiparticle. Stay with me. All right. It's own a negative side and a mirror image. He proposes that this universal mind lives in that mirror image and not in our own universe. Maybe this is an anti-God that brings darkness instead of light. The priest asks why they weren't just told the truth and Birak laughs. Without technology, it would have just been another legend. Ramping up the drama, the priest yells that he was their prisoner, not his. And it was their responsibility to warn the rest of the world. He says only the corrupt are listened to now and they only tell us what we want to hear and we take it as divine light. He remarks that it just got colder in here as if something moved through the room. But even Birak pulls his vest a little tighter. Is this going to be on the test? (laughs) (laughs) I Okay, one thing I do want to say, actually two things. First thing, a lot of people say that this movie is confusing. Mm -hmm. I feel like this scene, he lays everything out. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the rest of it definitely could be confusing. But yeah, he's like, listen, let me explain it to the priest, a.k.a. the audience anti-god right mirror image okay Hmm? (laughs) but i have to call out donald pleasance yeah he moves through so many emotions in this thing there's guilt regret yeah anger confusion realization fear and it's seamless he goes through every stage of death he does (laughs) he's putting on a clinic man and i i'm here for it no he's amazing but we cut to Calder, Wyndham, and Lomax standing outside. Calder tells Wyndham that they're on the brink of the ultimate truth inside. But Wyndham says that the priest is just crazy and he's beginning to think that Birak is too. Now, you're very polite. 
Yeah. Because Wyndham goes, Byrack? I'm like, did you just read the name? Yeah. <laughs> did you not have any scenes with him? Like, what? <laughs> I know his name's just yeah. the line before. They're like, no, we need a quick, a quick shot. Yeah. All right, shit. But not bothering to argue, Lomax simply says he's going back in and tells Calder to come on. They leave and Wyndham yells back to them that this is all just caca. Sure, man. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of words you could have chose. Uh-huh. But Wyndham, alone now, turns to leave but sees a line of the homeless people across the street standing and staring at him. Once he turns back to the building, he sees Susan step outside and look down to him. Her eyes are wide and there are beetles crawling on her hands. Wyndham looks down to see that he's now standing in a pool of beetles that are crawling up his legs and hands. There are even some on his face. So, first of all, me, ladies and gentlemen, the beetles. Um, (laughs) I personally don't understand why they had to have this conversation outside. Mm Mm-hmm. I think Wyndham was leaving and they were trying to tell him to come trying back to in. Stop yeah. Him? Okay. Oh, and right. then that's why Lomax is like, fuck this. Let's just go. Yeah. Fair enough. That makes sense. Cause I'm like, man, you're setting yourself up. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry, dude. Already just getting there, seeing all these people lined up like the birds. <laughs> yeah. I think the no. birds made a big impact. I think you. they did. I keep, <laughs> I keep bringing them up, but it's very concerning. And I would, even if I don't believe the stuff that's going on inside right. the church, people are, yeah, you see them yeah. outside. Yeah. yeah. And they're staring at you. Yeah. And not friendly. No. No, not at all. So at the very least, don't leave alone. Don't be left alone. Yeah. Just common sense. Oh, yeah. You know, you would think, but Wyndham starts to panic. But while he's distracted by the bugs, the bag lady runs over with what looks like a half a pair of scissors. She stabs him repeatedly in the neck and chest while Susan just watches. I didn't think about it until now, but like we have the half bike and then the half pair of scissors mm-hmm. and there's a lot of emphasis on mirror imagery. Yeah. That is pretty fucking cool. You think maybe this could have been a mild influence on the tethered? I was just thinking huh. us because of the scissors. Yeah. yeah. Maybe because I mean, you know, I it, that's pretty fucking cool. I never... Right even clocked that that is interesting i um did want to point out the way they accomplished the shot of her wielding the scissor right Mm -hmm. instead of having a camera follow her because they couldn't get it right they had her stand still yeah holding the scissors and behind her a truck with a piece of the brick like set yeah drove by so that's why it looks kind of uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's crazy. really that nuts? so the motion is the truck not yeah. her that's awesome but it's a great shot yeah but inside Catherine looks at more equations on the computer but seems to get distracted by a sound in her office lisa transcribes more be you not deceived of his purpose for one will be chosen she sees an image in the book that has three pointed sides and what looks like a hook at the bottom She hears a sound and calls out, but nobody answers her. Back in the lab, Calder quietly takes off the crucifix from around his neck. And like I said, no attention is drawn to this. It's just something that happens. So is he taking it off as like a crisis of faith? Maybe, because even the priest said himself, everything that they've been saying is a lie. Leahy asks where Wyndham is, and Calder admits that he left about 20 minutes ago. Lomax says that they tried to talk him out of it, but Leahy's like, has anyone seen Susan? 
radiologist glasses <laughs> when no one has he says that maybe she left too Lomax is like well maybe they had the right idea and they all look like they might kind of agree with that we get a shot of the moon outside with the cross of the church against it before we see Wyndham dead amongst the beetles it looks like his leg and hand have been cut off and the beetles crawl all over the disembodied yeah. hand Did they chew his hand off I guess I thought it looked really cool it oh it did, does but what happened of course, I have to point out the moon and the steeple and everything. Yeah. That's a matte yeah. painting. That's so cool. Yeah, because I couldn't tell. No. And I, I get kind of the reputation of being a little nitpicky. I'm very easy to please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a shot of the moon. Yeah. Give me some uh, blue and orange light. I mean, that's your thing. I love it. Red light. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> I mean, it should. Also, uh, very thorough characters. and So right. I guess maybe... Uh, so- on one hand, you're easy to please. On one hand, you're very mm. difficult. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to Walter sleeping in bed, looking like he's having a nightmare. We see what looks like a video as a voice announces that this is not a dream. They're using the brain's electrical system as a receiver because they're unable to transmit through conscience neuro interference. You are receiving this broadcast as a dream, which is pretty fucking cool yeah i i I was like what is happening yeah what is this voice yeah is this real your brain's too active when you're awake for us to get this to you so now that you're asleep listen to this shit real quick that's man like fucking crazy this is probably the coolest slash like scariest thing of the whole movie for me and it's the aesthetic of the camera yeah the silhouette yeah, well, hold on. Yeah. Okay. We see the church with the dark figure in the doorway as the voice says they are broadcasting from the year one, nine, and then Walter wakes up. Horrifying. Yes. Yeah. The interesting thing that I heard on commentary is that they filmed this with a video camera mm-hmm. and then they put it on a television and then they use the film cameras to film that. Uh, that's what awesome. The fuck? Yeah. And so that's how you get this odd, like almost live, but not yeah, live. Yeah. yeah. It feels like you're you're almost like watching the news, but you're not supposed to be watching the yeah. news. Yeah. Like it's I don't know. It's just so well done. But Walter wakes up scared and is scared again by Brian. Brian asks if Walter has seen Mullins or Susan because no one can find them and more people are talking about leaving. Walter's like, I was asleep. Yeah. <laughs> He says they're about to have a meeting, but he's going downstairs to look for Mullins. In the office, Lisa continues to type until she hears a banging sound. This time she gets up to investigate, but it's Brian and Walter. Walter tells her that if he doesn't come back, she can have his Porsche. (laughs) She does not like it. No, not at all. She rolls her eyes before going back down the hall and into one of the rooms with a cot. She turns off the light and lays down to get some rest. Suddenly, Susan comes out from behind the door and she slowly closes it. We get another shot of the video of the dark figure standing in the doorway. It raises its arms as the voice says that we are being shown this broadcast to be able to alter the events that were being shown. Suddenly, Birak awakes with a start, having fallen asleep on his desk. The priest still sits across from him and is like, what were you dreaming about? Yeah. <laughs> Birak says that his kingdom doesn't include his subconscious. It's his and he can abuse it in any way he wishes without having to confess. <laughs> I liked that line. You having a sex dream? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this. I know a lot of shit's up for debate right now, but that's mine. Yeah. <laughs> My dreams are mine. 
the fact that he's asking shows that the priest knows more than he's letting absolutely yeah. yeah but the priest says that he hasn't told him that anyone in close proximity to the brotherhood of sleep has the same dream the dream he just had right now in that room with the cot susan crawls on top of lisa lisa looks up at her and just as she opens her mouth to be like look dude susan projectile ejects the liquid right into lisa's mouth and she chokes She's like, ma! Yeah, again. <laughs> so just start, wide. I think yeah. we should all learn to start screaming with their mouth closed. Yeah, yeah I think, yeah. <laughs> I, I just feel like, and she just coughs and doesn't, she isn't like, oh, what the Are fuck? you fucking yeah. kidding me, like, Susan? I'd be uh, very mad. Yeah. <laughs> she just coughs and just takes it. But back in the office, the priest elaborates that the guardian priests all had that dream for years. He says it's a premonition that evolves and unfolds. They're going to start having it every time they go to sleep. It pushes out everything else and makes room only for itself. Brian and Walter go down to the tube room and call for Mullins, but he's not there. Walter asks if Mullins really left, if he possibly believed all this shit. And Brian gets angry and Walter says Mullins is either asleep or he and Susan are off showing each other the flesh. <laughs> they leave and we see that Mullins is just, he's on the floor. They checked the room like, <laughs> yeah. remember the cop from I Know What You Did Last Summer? Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. It's like there's blood dripping right there. Yeah. yeah. Like, come on. But Mullins is dead on the floor, but the green pool on the ceiling is slowly dripping directly into his mouth. So now Mullins is going to kip up and be like, wham, 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 wham. Like this shit is getting out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> Back upstairs. Kelly comes in and asks Catherine how she's still working. It's 3.30 a.m. Catherine says the equations are basically another language at this point, and she doesn't understand it anymore. She tells Kelly to get some rest, and she'll come get her in half an hour. Kelly pleads for 45 minutes instead, and Catherine agrees. She asks Kelly if she's okay, and Kelly says she's just numb. Catherine notices the bruise on Kelly's arm, but when she pulls up Kelly's sleeve, we see that symbol from the book Lisa was looking at is raised up in the bruise. Yeah, that's not a bruise. No. <laughs> that is not a bruise. When she starts to comment on it, Kelly's like, I am I need to go to sleep and leaves. Now, I'm not going to call Kelly stupid, <laughs> <laughs> but I think I just did. Now, my my thing that was very funny to me is Carpenter said that he just stole this symbol from Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, uh, my God. Because <laughs> it's literally the symbol on their albums. But this whole thing also, you know, what we've got here is failure to communicate. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if Lisa or whoever has seen the book would just say, hey, that's the exact symbol. We got to oh, get yeah. the fuck out of here. We, yeah. yeah. We're, we're done. Pack it up. We need an exorcist, please. <laughs> But Kelly goes into the room and just as she sits down on the cot, Calder comes in to tell her about the meeting in the lab. She's like, can I please just get 15 <laughs> minutes? Calder leaves and runs into Brian and Walter, who confirmed that they couldn't find anyone. He leans into Lisa's room and tells her about the meeting. But Lisa is typing like crazy and just staring ahead. She won't even respond to Calder calling her. He's like, Mona, Lisa. <laughs> it's I'm telling you, man, the look on her face. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah. I wouldn't I she doesn't even look like she's you know how you're working and you're just in the zone like that's right, not right. What that look. it looks like Lisa is no longer home. Yeah. She's vacant. Yeah. Finally, he gets concerned and goes over to her on her screen. She's typing over and over again. I live with an exclamation point. She finally types something different. You will not be saved by the Holy Ghost. You will not be saved by the God Plutonium. In fact, 
You will not be saved. Calder stares on as Susan enters the room and closes the door behind her. The in fact, I was like, come on. Man. In fact, yeah. <laughs> let me, let's yeah. get real with it. She walks toward Calder slowly. And when he turns around to look at her, Lisa stands up and takes his ass down. Clothesline from hell. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. They're versatile with their violence. Yeah. They are. Yeah, no, they're not one trick ponies. Mm-mm. It's like, whatever we got to do. <laughs> Breaking necks. It doesn't matter. Mm-mm. In the lab, they start proposing what to do with the church, sealing it in concrete or launching it into space. But Lomax says he hears something. We see Lisa holding Calder down on the floor as Susan puts her mouth over his. We hear the liquid leaving her body and going down his throat. So this was very cool for Calder for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Then it turned not so cool real fast. Something not so chill is happening. Yes. Back in the lab, they start the meeting, but only Birak, the priest, Catherine, Brian, Walter, Leahy, and Lomax have shown up. Birak pleads that they all stay, telling them that their work in the next 48 hours is critical. The priest is like, all right, who's fallen asleep? Walter, Leahy, and Lomax all raise their hands. The priest tells them that they dreamt about the front of this church with a dark figure coming out of it, but it didn't feel like a dream. They all look at each other in disbelief. I feel like this is the first time that Walter's like, well shit yeah because that's undeniable no how do i know what you dreamed um unless something weird right, is going right. on because he's been the disbelieving one yeah, yeah. we're all jerking each other off or uh-huh. we're all yeah he finally he's like fuck well i think he said stroking but well yeah <laughs> we know what he meant fair point birak admits that he had the dream too but it didn't seem like it belonged to him it felt like something pre-recorded Brian looks over his papers from a machine and proposes tachyons. Birak suggests that the dream is a premonition of something that already happened that is being shared with them. Finally, taking this seriously, Walter asks if it's being caused by that thing downstairs. But Birak is like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. It's like, no, yes, it is. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> Did, of everything. Was this happening in your dorm room? Yeah. No. no. Everything we have at our disposal. <laughs> Yes. I think it stands to reason. The answer is yes. It's the goo. (laughs) (laughs) It's the slurm. Yeah, man. Playing with his cards again, Brian explains that tachyons are subatomic particles that travel faster than the speed of light. Birak says maybe the messages are being sent by other human beings from the future. Catherine says that anything traveling faster than the speed of light appears to be going backwards through time. Brian says a future scientist could calculate the exact spot that the Earth occupied in space in the past, then beam a tachyon signal transmitting the video at that spot. I know I sounded very smart explaining all that, but it is confusing as (laughs) fuck. The idea of it, though, the way it's presented, it's frightening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, why couldn't they do that? Yeah, but it makes sense. Yeah. It seems plausible. Catherine says they would then be able to receive it as a neural stimulus. A dream. Yeah. As Brian makes the card in his hand disappear, he says that they're being shown this so that they can change it. He's like, it's our time now. (laughs) Just then, all the machines go out as if the equipment from downstairs has been cut off. Hmm. We see Susan and Lisa pushing the tube away from its spot. So the container tube canister, it looked a lot larger before. It did. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. these, these actual actresses have to Are be able to, to push it. Because <laughs> like, that was the size of a man. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Catherine hears a watery voice calling hello from outside. It sounds fucking scary. It sounds like creep show. It yeah. does. That's exactly what I thought. 
She goes to the window and calls out to Wyndham. When we see Wyndham, though, he's standing in the shadows in a pool of beetles, just saying hello over and over again. She calls everyone over to come and look. Wyndham says, I've got a message for you and you're not going to like it. I appreciate the warning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a real bummer, guys. <laughs> Lomax says to look at his chest and we zoom in. His coat widens and we see that he is comprised of beetles. They crawl all over his spine and his ribs, still wrapped in his shirt and coat. But his body's gone. Yeah. Great work. Oh, yeah. The, what, the Beatles or the, <laughs> the effect? Column A, yeah. column B. <laughs> Carpenter watching it on the commentary, he was like, this movie is disgusting. <laughs> He's like, let's just be real. It is, though. It is. We finally see his face cut up with symbols, his eyes completely black. He tells them to pray for death. In the darkness, we see his head fall off. They start freaking out and we see beetles crawling out of him as his clothes start to go limp. Finally, the suit collapses onto the ground, completely empty. We see the crumpled suit and a pile of beetles as they go away from the window. Suddenly, Calder loudly sings Amazing Grace as he climbs the stairs, dragging a chair behind him. He's singing, but his face looks miserable. Mm -hmm. I know that this is our third kind of... I don't even know how to describe what they are, right. but he is by far the scariest to me. Right. No fourth. Yeah. Cause Wyndham was scary too, but oh, okay. Calder yeah, is yeah. terrifying to me. It's almost zombies. Yeah. 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 But like a new like, like version. A pu- they're just kind of possessed. They can't fight it. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that, and I don't know if it's the foreshadowing of him having been religious, mm-hmm. but it's like, there's something in him that's trying to fight this. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's singing the look on his face. Like he can't stop what his body's doing, but somewhere in his mind, he's like trying to. Right. It's very disturbing. And successful. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. But and I think that this is why what happens next happens. He breaks a piece of the staircase railing off as they all run to him. He continues to sing until he breaks into giggles and drives the piece of wood into his own throat. He collapses and they all look down on him. I feel like he was trying to kill himself to not right, be doing yeah. this. Right. And Everybody else was like, you got a boss. <laughs> like, we'll be dragging tubes. We're fucking giving warnings. He's like, I'm out. Yeah. I don't want to do this. Tell me why we just saw Beatlemania outside <laughs> and... I'm watching Calder and I'm like, okay, so no, things are not going to be okay. He was the one that showed me that shit's done. Yeah, Yeah, we're fucked. Even though a man made of beetles fell apart outside. That was, that was scary. But I feel like Calder was scary on a next level. Like we're climbing some stairs here. That's true. Literally, he did climb. (laughs) Well, I think what did it for me was he was able to have that look on his face like i can't stop yeah right. i can't you know what i mean like like you said like he's still in there and he's like i can't do this yeah i i'm just i can't like you can try to fight it yeah, yeah. but Ugh. and i feel like it has to have something to do with him being religious right because Character. he's the only person that exhibited any traits besides the priest but yeah and everybody else was just like all right sure yeah. <laughs> we in this bitch he he's not going calmly into that good night and it takes all kinds because when it got Wyndham it's like okay well he was like this is bullshit yeah and so it's like oh it's just getting the non-believers or whatever no not at all Calder not at all everyone's fair game doesn't discriminate no I can kind of respect that yeah 
But we cut to Kelly still sleeping on the cot and we see the bruise and the symbol on her arm. In the room where she sleeps, Lisa and Susan have dragged in that tube. They stand in front of it bathed in the green light. Smoke comes out of the lid as it slowly begins to turn. And I don't know if you guys heard, but that lid can only open from yeah. the inside. <laughs> Back in the lab, the priest prays over Calder until he stops. And this isn't really addressed, but to me, it seemed like he forgot his prayer. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Because he looks like, what the fuck? Like, his, he looks so confused. And something about him not being able to complete it or not remembering yeah. it that's fucking scary man he's like i want to say god, god? <laughs> <laughs> but Catherine watches over him as the men try to open the doors and get out of the church the doors though have all been barricaded from the outside through a crack they manage to open in the door brian sees the homeless people all standing and staring at them walter runs to the room to get kelly but when he tries to turn on the light nothing happens he walks further into the room and sees the tube now backwards pouring the liquid up into the ceiling where a new green pool has taken over. He follows the liquid until he sees it flowing down. He follows the flow of water with this flashlight to see that it is going into Kelly's eyes and mouth. But again, it looks like it's flowing backwards yeah. too. Yeah, they reversed. It was a mannequin Ooh. on the bed. And they had it spewing out of the eyes and mouth. Hey, there you go. Yeah. And just reverse the shot. Good Lord. But he turns to see that Susan is standing right next to him and he falls backward. The rest of the group meets in the hallway discussing the barricaded doors. Leahy looks into the room with the cot. Walter sees him from the floor and yells at him to not come in. It's in here, but it's too late. Lisa projectile spits right into Leahy's mouth. Leahy falls into the hallway choking. They all rush to him except for the priest who was behind him. He locks himself in a room as Lisa steps out into the hallway. He's like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you got me fucked up. It's like every man for himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is scary shit now. Yes. Oh, yeah. There's, like you said, zombies or whatever. <laughs> dead, you know, people coming back to life. The demons are taking over. This is, We're fucked. We're trapped. Yeah. There was a sense of foreboding building. Yeah. And now it's just exploding. It honestly feels like once this movie starts popping off, because there's a lot of setup for yeah. us to understand what's at stake, what's going on, mm -hmm. what's what's happening. But once we start, you better fucking strap in because yeah. we're, we're just going. Mm -hmm. Walter shines his flashlight on Susan before running and locking himself into a closet. Back in the hallway, Calder steps into view, laughing with the bandaged neck. It's like, why did y'all save him? Yeah. <laughs> On the other side of the hallway, Mullins walks into view. They all run into an office and barricade the door with the couch that was inside. We see the priest hiding in the corner of the room he's in while he hears them pile more furniture against the door. Walter can hear Calder laughing and we see him standing at the end of the hall behind Lisa. Walter looks out of the window in the closet to see Lisa come back into the room and Susan go stand next to her. He shines his flashlight at them, but they don't react. He shines his light over to Kelly and she's still in bed, but she now looks like she's about nine months pregnant. Yeah, that's a problem. Ye so. That's a big <laughs> problem. Did the window in the closet look almost like a confessional? See, yeah. I thought it was a confessional, but later Walter's like the closet. And yeah. I was like, well, maybe he's like, I'm not religious. Is this a closet? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> But in the hallway, Leahy begins to rise, groaning in agony. In the office, Catherine remarks that the sun is coming up. 
Birak looks out the window and we see that this is true, but we also see groups of homeless people on either side of the alley outside the church. We see Kelly sleeping and breathing heavily, still with a swollen belly, and all of her skin looks melted and like burned off. Looks great. It does. It really, it's disgusting. Susan and Lisa still stand, staring at Walter through the window. Walter says he normally loves being dominated by women and apologizes to Lisa, saying she doesn't look Asian at all. With a dry, cool wit like that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this would have been funny if I had gotten the first joke. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, don't, it's, I don't understand. While I'm trying to get the first joke, he says the second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Walter, please. You lost me, Walter. But in the office, Catherine hears Walter and calls out to him through the wall. Walter replies... <laughs> what the fuck do you want (laughs) (laughs) what is that i don't know i laughed that's the one thing he said that actually made you laugh walter the fuck do you want (laughs) they finally realize that they may be able to dig through the wall and get him out walter tells them that they've stopped attacking they're just standing there Catherine starts breaking down the wall, but Brian says it's probably going to take a couple hours. I was like, where do you get that math from? He's like, every time I've broken through a wall. (laughs) It's taking me at least two hours. (laughs) Hang tight, Walter. (laughs) Calder bangs on the door to the room that the priest is in until the lock breaks. He walks inside and starts giggling, but the priest continues to hide. He walks over to the mirror laughing, but his face looks like he's crying. He's, he's, He's like, I can't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Besides... Donald Pleasance, I really feel like this is the standout performance yeah. in this film. Well, honestly, the second he was like, I'm Calder. I was like, this is going to be. <laughs> I'm like, my eye yeah, he's about to be the one. <laughs> but <laughs> I did want to point out, I thought it was strange that, like, why is the power of Christ not compelling them? Like, Donald Pleasance's priest has really done nothing to stop anything or even no. attempt to. Right. like he hasn't taken the scriptures out and been like in the name of nothing he forgot them that's true (laughs) well i thought he said it was it was gonna happen no matter what but you still try i wonder (laughs) i wonder if he i mean i guess it can't really be a crisis of faith because we have a lot of evidence here that this shit is real but maybe it's like every everything he built his life on was a lie Mm -hmm. so maybe he's having kind of a struggle with that as well because yeah he hasn't been like I'm gonna get my homeboy God down yeah. here, and uh-huh. we're gonna like no. He's Holy just like, water, my homeboy. Yeah, he's yeah. just like, oh, we're fucked. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, he's with funny. everybody else in the office. Brian drops down out of the window. Now I don't understand why he did this. <laughs> I was gonna ask. I thought I missed something. No, yeah. because when he drops back, he's like, wait, pull me back up. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> then why did you do what? <laughs> <laughs> why did you do I'm that? So, and then before he even jumps out, dude's like, I think it's Lomax. He's like, no, you're gonna want to be ready to pull me back <laughs> yeah. up. It's like, well, then why are you going out at all? I was just so confused by that. But he drops down and both of the groups that were waiting immediately start advancing on him. And he tries to climb back up the side of the building and they're able to pull him back inside in time. From the closet, Walter continues to talk to Lisa and Susan with no result. When he looks over at Kelly, he sees that the mass under her shirt is moving around and he tells a joke and is the only one that laughs. Uh, So normal. Yeah. Yeah. We see the dream again with the same message, but this time they're broadcasting from the year one, nine, nine. Suddenly, Catherine jerks awake. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be digging holes? Yeah. <laughs> she was there on shifts. <laughs> if I'm in 1987 and I'm hearing more numbers and it's 199, I'm yeah. like, Fuck. I'm, I'm fucked. Yeah, at best, I got 12 years. <laughs> at best. Yeah. But Lomax is digging through the wall now. 
Brian proposes to Birak that when it gets dark, he can try to break some windows and call for help. But Birak says that no one out there can help them. He walks away and Catherine goes over. She says the other morning he told her that he had something to tell her and that he probably thinks that none of that matters now, but he's wrong. It's the only thing that matters. He's like, I'm 40. (laughs) (laughs) Brian smiles at her and they kiss. In the other room, Calder's hand hovers over the mirror and he seems to be struggling with himself. The priest hears this as he's reading his Bible. Walter looks out at Kelly. Her stomach is back to normal, but her skin looks worse, covered in open wounds now. She groans as she breathes and Walter looks disturbed (laughs) with good reason. (laughs) Yeah. In the office, Birak looks at the windowsill outside as it crawls with ants. He remarks that worker ants are drawn to a higher purpose that is unknown to the individual. Just like the street people and their friends that are being mind controlled, Brian equates it to demonic possession. Birak is almost coming at it with like beatnik poetry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like worker ants, reliant, rely ant. I'm like, what the fuck are you? Yeah, it snaps. <laughs> like, oh my God. We're all worker ants. It's like, what? <laughs> oh shit. But I mean, again, you're doing this thing that's like a scientific roundabout explanation of something supernatural. Yeah. Right. That, and that can't be explained. It's frightening. Yeah. It, and it's so well done, even if he called it mumbo jumbo. Yeah. I think it's really good. Yeah. Catherine asks why they're even needed. The book says the son's purpose is to bring his father back from the dark side. Birak rationalizes that it's still just liquid. It can control simple organisms, but maybe it needs something more complex to get the job done. Finally, Walter calls out to them. He's like, remember me, guys? Because nobody's (laughs) digging anymore. And he says that Kelly has changed again, like the liquid was fully absorbed into her system. He notes that her tissues and bone structure are also changing. Birak thinks this is a gestation period, a way for it to actualize its power by becoming a parasite onto a host. So, again, (laughs) science. I think the thing about her to me is that it's scary enough because the typical thing is that someone's pregnant right? Yeah, with the baby of the devil or the yeah. anti-God son or mm-hmm. whatever. In this case, she was, but then it just absorbed into her. Uh-huh. And now she's it. Yeah. Also very weird, but when she, whenever she hit her elbow, Carpenter said on commentary, you see, and that's when she's being impregnated. I'm like, I do not understand. Oh, that. no. <laughs> but it's like, I hit my elbow all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. shit. Finally, Catherine's like, I know that symbol on Kelly's arm. It's from the first Blue Oyster Cult yeah. album. <laughs> it was the astrologer staff used in ritual magic in the Middle Ages. Birak calls out for Walter to keep a close eye on Kelly and report any more changes. But Walter's like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> the priest continues to hide and read from his Bible. Calder is still at the mirror struggling. He cries as he stares at himself. Walter shines his flashlight on Kelly, who finally turns in his direction and smiles at him, and her teeth are black. Yeah. Lisa and Susan finally stop staring at Walter and look over at Kelly. It's like something's happening now. So if you watch this on Amazon Prime, the picture they give to kind of tease the movie is literally Kelly with her skin rotted Uh, off and her smiling black teeth. So thanks for spoiling. Do better. (laughs) I didn't even notice it. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Kelly looks at the cot next to her and shoots it across the room without touching it. The priest continues to sob as he reads, finally stopping to ask Christ where he is. It's like, dude, if we ever needed you. (laughs) God damn. No pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) 
Kelly sits up in bed smiling. Walter's flashlight finally dies. And when Kelly starts moving shit with her mind again, Walter is done. He starts screaming to be let out. And Brian finally starts digging again. Yeah, I guess let's save Walter. (laughs) He abandons it as Walter continues to beg to be saved and starts unbarricading the door. Kelly gets up out of bed and walks over to Lisa and Susan. She shoots a look at the closet door and the door cracks, bending inward toward Walter. Without a word, Lisa and Susan go over to the closet and start breaking the door down. Walter starts to dig on his side, which I'm like, why weren't you doing this before? You're just sitting there shining your flashlight and shit. Like, (laughs) dig, motherfucker. But It's your life. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. Catherine starts digging again on the other side. Brian peeks out of the door as Birak grabs a can of soda and a chopstick from the discarded food on the floor. He starts to shake up the can. Now, this is the most <laughs> hilarious line of defense <laughs> I think I've ever seen in a horror film. You got you got to use what you have. Yeah. I guess. Brian slowly opens the door wider, but Mullins runs up and forces his way inside. In the closet, Lisa and Susan have almost made it in. Birak in the office opens the can and sprays Mullins in the face. (laughs) (laughs) While he's distracted for this moment, Brian hits him with a piece of wood. Mullins turns and Lomax hits him with another piece of wood. It's like in um, Shaun of the Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stop me now. Don't stop me now. Mullins devil spits on Lomax and having had enough, Birak just shoves the chopstick into Mullins' eye. Kelly spots a makeup compact on the floor and stares at her own reflection in excitement. I'd be like, man, I look fucking awful. (laughs) Walter continues to dig, but Brian steps out into the hallway. Leahy, who looks agonized, approaches him. He devil spits, but Brian ducks out of the way too fast. He hits him with a piece of wood and Leahy is down. Walter finally starts to crawl through the wall, but Susan and Lisa finally make it through. Lisa grabs onto his legs and comes through the other side with Walter. But Birak and Walter just start beating the shit out of her with bricks. The bricks beat her ass. (laughs) I heard the bricks were rubber. And this was uh, this was a stunt woman. Well, good. Because the actress is like, I'm not going to fucking get my ass beat. Like, what? But when that doesn't work, they just start whooping her ass and throw her out the window. I (laughs) I honestly, (laughs) when they threw her out the window, I was like, man, this is a genius. Why haven't they done that? Everyone (laughs) just close your eyes and mouth, grab them and throw them out the window. Yep. And I don't know how you're making your way to the window. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. (laughs) But Kelly picks up the compact and stares into it. She croaks out, father, and the mirror begins to change. Brian finally makes his ass into the room. Hmm. He sees Kelly stick two fingers through the mirror. We see her fingers appear in darkness on the other side. She starts straining and screaming, only to throw the mirror down in frustration, breaking it. Brian watches until he hears someone crying behind him. It's Calder, still struggling with himself in the mirror. Kelly hears him too and walks right past Brian into the room where Calder still stands, where the priest still hides. She takes Calder's face in her hand and stands facing the big mirror. I was, whenever she did that with the little compact mirror, Mm -hmm. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. But then when she went to go check on Calder, I forgot that that was a mirror that he was staring into. A big mirror. And I was like, oh shit, the mirror. This is about to get real, real bad. But the priest just watches in horror. She calls out father to the mirror and we see light reflect on her face as the mirror begins to change. From the priest's point of view, the mirror has become a wall of light. Back in the office, Susan comes out of the wall. So they flip her ass out the window, too. (laughs) They're like, it worked with Lisa. Mm -hmm. 
The priest finds an axe where he's hiding. As Kelly slides her hand through the mirror, he whispers to himself that he could. We see her hand in the darkness. The priest makes the sign of the cross, deeming Kelly an unclean spirit. Calder notices him, but Brian grabs him with a piece of wood and drags him out of the room. He wheels him out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was on a dolly. Yeah. <laughs> and Calder's just looking around like, what? Yeah. I'm Is that Calder. What happened? I'm Calder. My legs are wheels. <laughs> the priest rushes to kelly and fucking chops her arm off in the hall calder giggles as he wrestles with brian but inside the room kelly just grows her arm back like nothing the priest chants latin and decides to be pragmatic by chopping off her head good call yeah Yeah. but she just picks that shit up and puts it back on (laughs) she smiles at him and moves a huge piece of furniture on top of him to keep him from coming at her again i don't know what that was that she that he yeah. was hiding behind, so... Uh, we'll call it a bookcase. Bookcase. Yeah. I didn't see books, but bookcase. Case. <laughs> Case. <laughs> Catherine goes into the hallway and sees Brian and Calder continue to fight and dodges Leahy as he reaches out at her from the floor. Kelly's hand goes through the mirror portal calling for father and telling him, come to freedom. In the darkness, we see a big, monstrous hand reaching out to hers. Just as they grasp hands, Catherine sees them and begins to sob. Kelly starts pulling the hand through into our reality as the chaos and fighting ensue around Catherine. And it's like, like if you picked up a devil costume at spirit <laughs> Halloween, like that's the hand. Yeah. It's literally red with black. Yeah. Like, I think it was Dave Grohl from the pick of destiny. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was uncredited here. Finally, Catherine screams and tackles Kelly into the mirror, throwing both Kelly and herself through the portal. The priest yells out Cristo Domino, but he should have yelled out Kobe because he throws that axe <laughs> right into the fucking mirror, shattering it. I laughed because he's just like, I don't, yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know why that killed me. It's, it's so he good. He straight fucked that lady over. <laughs> he did. Well, uh, she knew what she was doing. I don't know. Well, so I think her turmoil was because Brian was getting his ass kicked in the hallway. Yeah. Who to save? Exactly. Brian or the world. Everyone. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I do want to say the way that they achieved the mirror portal, because they had a plan beforehand, but it didn't work out. Uh-huh. So they had to improvise on set. Right. And the way they improvised on set is that they used mercury. Oh. That sounds safe. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So they were, I think they drained it from some of their equipment and then they used it as like a pool. So when you see them like uh, dipping things in, yeah. it's mercury because it has that reflective oh my right. property. <laughs> but whenever you see them actually on the inside, like when they're pulling the hand out or when Catherine makes the ultimate sacrifice, right. yeah. it's a swimming pool. Oh, okay. okay. And they've like kind of... They were swimming. It was a swimming pool full of mercury. mercury. <laughs> <laughs> they got all the mercury they could find. No, I'm just kidding. But it was it was just a swimming pool. And so, of course, the actress who played Catherine, whenever you see it at the end, the light flickers out. It's black. Yeah. yeah. She's actually in a pool underwater, holding her breath, looking scared with oh no lights. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. So she was fucking horrified. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I read John Carpenter apologized to her later because it was such an ordeal. Well, yeah. But again, you got to use what you have. Yeah. Practical effects for the win. And they had torturing the actors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Brian screams, no. And like you said, we see Catherine suspended on the other side, reaching back toward the portal in horror. Mm -hmm. Everyone stands quiet and 
shook. Mm-hmm. Mullins, Lomax, Calder, Leahy, Lisa, and Susan all breathe smoke out of their mouths. And the homeless people outside are like, the fuck were we doing? They just start walking away. Yeah, Rickety Cooper's like, uh, same <laughs> same time tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, they just go. Out. Yeah. Disperse. But Walter climbs down into the alley and runs to the front of the church. We cut to cop cars and ambulances outside. From the gurney that he rests on, the priest tells Birak that they stopped it here. He stopped it. He stopped it six times. <laughs> <laughs> He says that the future conjured up by the vile servant will not happen now. Brian stares down at the shattered remains of the mirror. Birak tells him that the smaller parts could not live without the strength of the whole. He tells him that they had to die as the whole world was thrown back. They're safe now, but he's still waiting on the other side. He tells Brian that Catherine died for them. I hope Birak has tenure because no shit, you're yeah. fucked. Like, yeah, <laughs> be looking for a job. <laughs> the dean's like, so you volunteered <laughs> students. <laughs> like, I mean, if you start at the beginning, it's in pretty a, in a battle yeah. with the oh, devil. Yeah, <laughs> they're all dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, who made it? Brian and Walter. That's it. <laughs> Damn. And of course, Birak. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry. So next semester, I plan to teach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next semester, yeah. no, my friend. But the next thing we see is the video dream again. We get the same message that we were receiving the broadcast as a dream. We finally hear that the year is 1999. A dark figure stands at the door of the church and raises its arms. But we finally see it step out into the sunlight. It's Catherine. Holy shit. It's Catherine, guys. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Fuck. I'm like, is what? It's a lot. It's a whole lot. Party over. Oops. Out of time. (laughs) (laughs) So did they stop that future and set up this future? Or was this the future all along and they just fucked up? Yeah. The interesting thing is that the figure in the previous dreams was oddly, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was oddly played by the actor who played Calder. I don't know if that's because he had a, a stature. He was the, the right, biggest one. Right. Yeah. And again, we're working cheap here, so reuse your people. Right. Yeah. Or if but, that's what it was. That's if, fucking interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know about that. But what I do know is that this seeing her come out, she looks normal. Yeah. Is this a second coming situation? Huh. Is she the anti god now? Right. I don't I don't know. I'm I mean, Prune Tracy. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Because I mean the dude is still there. Yeah. And you knocked Demon Kelly in as well. Right. Yeah. So she's they did. still rocking about. Yeah. What's I don't know, dude. What and why should I be afraid? I don't but just <laughs> because be afraid. I am. Yeah. But Brian wakes with a start. He rolls over and sees Catherine bloodied and skinless like Kelly. He <laughs> screams, but then he actually wakes up alone in his bed, covered in sweat. Oh, his man. his scream. Yeah. <laughs> back to back. He like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it made me laugh because he just rolls over and it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that shit's scary, But dude. it is very scary. I'll give him that. I wouldn't like to wake up to that. No. no. But with the look of realization, he rises to his feet. He slowly walks over to the mirror and reaches toward it. Just before he makes contact, it cuts to black and the credits roll. That is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect ending. Mm-hmm. But if we had made the relationship more believable, of course, yeah. if we had made him or Catherine more fleshed out characters, as well as their relationship, this would have been a lot more. Oh, yeah. 
or if if they even knew each other and there yes. was a, like a thing, but like they liked each other and they I'm just sorry. started dating. We've or been dating for three days. Yeah, <laughs> flesh or no flesh, I'm not pulling your demon ass out of a mirror. No. I'm not. Nobody no. would. If it only took three days to meet, you can meet another person. That's what I'm saying. No matter how long I've been stalking your ass. Yeah, he was fair. stalking her. Oh, he was. But I mean, if, again, if they had fleshed it out, that moment would have been tragically sad. Yes. If, oh, yeah. If that's his wife. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God damn. Or even just long time or girlfriend. Yeah, or, that's you know fine. What I mean? or, Something, but not three days. Yeah. Not three days, some coffee and some flesh. No. You yeah. got me fucked up. How many oh. hours I've been in those bushes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. I've <laughs> been plotting this all fucking semester. <laughs> but I have to ask, what did you guys think of Prince of Darkness? I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I feel like it's, I don't know if it's new to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if fresh take would be it, but to me, this is a new idea mm-hmm. and I yes. really like it mm-hmm. and I really, really enjoyed it. Just like, like you were saying, the little things, if you don't pay attention that are going on in the back, you can see them mm-hmm. and they're not like, they don't draw upon it so that you have to look at it. It's just like, Hey, it's happening it, it happened. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody's like, nah, he wasn't religious, whatever. Well, pay attention. Pay attention yeah. to him. Pay attention. He was. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie is good. And the music, the music to me is what kept me in it the whole time. Yeah. And so like you'd hear it and then it's like, oh shit, what's going to happen? <laughs> or when shit's happening, it's just going nuts and you're like, oh fuck. It's like, all right, keep going. Some more, some yeah. more. Yeah. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed this movie. I definitely agree. I think it is so interesting and original. Like, this is a familiar story in a way, but it's never been done like this right. before. No, no. I actually, I mean, I I know that there are two camps on it. Personally, I enjoy some of the ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't like everything explained to me. I think it's fine to leave the film with a little bit of like, what? You know, yeah. that, that's cool with me. I feel like in, with another director, he, we would have like... Blah, like the mirror would have crashed yeah. or, you know what i mean something would have happened but the fact that we know he tried yeah you know we know what is gonna happen if yeah. nobody intervenes like that's for me that's enough absolutely and dad made a good point he had said you know at a time when everything was so straightforward and formulaic mm-hmm. this is 87 yeah. this is like the height of slasher sequels yeah right you know this is something that's so out of the norm for what's being released at this time yeah mm-hmm. it's commendable no, I totally agree. I know that, you know, you rocked my worldview that I watched this a lot as a kid. I don't remember <laughs> that. Um, this was to, to my brain coming online. This right. was new. I, I remembered none of it. I knew nothing about it. And I mean, I I loved it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it, it's easy for coming between the thing which to me is a perfect horror film 100 percent, and in the mouth of madness which i have a very huge (laughs) sweet spot in my heart for it's easy to to forget it in the conversation but Mm -hmm. that's a fucking shame Mm -hmm. so thank you dad for making us watch this because this was good oh yeah thank you dad thank you (laughs) (laughs) so i guess we can move on to ratings um it's interesting because when I watched this, I was like, I watched it through the first time and just watched it because I was like, I, I don't know what this is. Let me watch it before I start working on it. So I watched it once and I had a score mm-hmm. and then I worked on it 
And then I had another score. And then we sat here and we talked about it today. And I have another score. <laughs> so if I have another conversation about this, it might evolve again. I don't know. Right. But as we sit today, it has gone up a full point for me. From Same. my first view. Right. Same. I'm contradicting my letterboxed score. I absolutely <laughs> am. My second viewing contradicted the first one. Yeah. Uh, but talking about it again, I feel like I just appreciate it in an even newer way, getting your guys' perspective mm-hmm. on it and kind of dissecting it even more than what I had written down. This is great. Mm-hmm. And it it really is not a part of the conversation. And it should be. But on a scale from 1 to 10 multi-dimensional mirrors <laughs> i'm gonna give prince of darkness 8.5 multi-dimensional mirrors mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i watched it at a 7.5 went up to an eight <laughs> now it's an 8.5 talk about it again it might be a fucking nine <laughs> we can get this thing up to a 10 um it's great and i would recommend multiple viewings because there's a lot of sneaky shit that you're mm. not going to notice the first time yeah so uh yeah, 8.5. I will now open the floor. Um, Like I said, I, I never heard of it or, you know, whatnot and all that. But I did enjoy it a mm-hmm. lot, like a lot, a lot. I know I've been saying that. and But it, it, it made it, like you said, even if it was all f- made up shit that they were saying, it sounded legit. It, it did. did. <laughs> so you, it's, that's what I really enjoyed was that I didn't sit there and was like, oh, that's fucking bullshit mm-hmm. like i'm sitting there like wait is that true i'm scared. you know yeah it's like <laughs> wait is that that sound you know what i mean yeah and even if you know in your mind that's not you know that it's bullshit the way it's presented in the movie makes you think that or believe that it could be real for sure so it's like well i know this is a movie but the shit they're saying is like <laughs> is this is this for real? Yeah. You know, or is this taken from something or whatever? Mm-hmm. But it's it's done so good. It's really good. Um, I was a bit confused on the slurm until they, uh, <laughs> like, until he said it and then whatnot. And then I was like, oh, all right. I yeah. see what's going on. Until you went to the factory. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Met the Grungalunga. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all makes sense. But it, it is. And and one last time before I give my score, the music. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. the music did a lot for me. And I thank you, John Carpenter, for just letting it go off the dome <laughs> and just going. You know what I mean? Because uh-huh. it, it was great. Oh, yeah. And that's what that was. And I know, like I said, I've said it and said it, but that was the one thing that I was like, this is great. Yeah. So on a scale from one to ten, multi-dimensional mirrors, I'm gonna give Prince of Darkness an eight point five. Hey, I I did like this movie a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm it kind of makes me sad that I never heard of it or knew what it was. Yeah, because I know the thing, and I love In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, for sure. you know two movies that I do enjoy very much. So this is like. Like you said, maybe it just kind of got lost. I guess. But that like, what sucks. happened? Yeah, because yeah. this is a good movie. It's a really good and movie. And it's not like it doesn't have good actors in it because the movie is good. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with every point made. It is unfortunate that it kind of fell by the wayside mm-hmm. when compared to the other two. Right. It deserves more. Right. Absolutely. Right. I'm glad that it's becoming slash become a cult classic. Right. Because it deserves it. Mm-hmm. But very quickly positives it's very intriguing the concept the execution of it right. 
I think that there are great effects, and I'm surprised by the budget. Yeah. Because it looks amazing. It does, yeah. But the music is just so good that it ticks it up even more for me. And it's just this ever-present thing that it's you can't ignore it. Donald Pleasance, of course. Yeah. Of course. And the fact that the way they present the concepts, it's genuinely scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's actually frightening. <laughs> and well, the, the, as we learn more, it just gets yeah. scarier and scarier. Like if you really stop to think about it yeah. without them being like, boo, like you're <laughs> unnerved. It's, yes. it's scary. I think I would like, as far as the negatives are concerned, a little more character work. That's my big issue yeah Yeah. i think that's my that's the same the romance angle could Mm -hmm. use some tweaking Mm -hmm. make those switches make the ending a little more impactful that way yeah the rest i mean i really can't think of anything negative to say Mm -hmm. but on a scale from one to ten multi-dimensional mirrors i am going to give prince of darkness eight multi-dimensional mirrors out of ten I wanted to go for that 8.5, but the romance angle really bothers me, the way that it's handled. I think it would be a nine for me if not for that. That's a big, that that fucks it up for me. Yeah. The thing that saves it for me is that shot of the mirror at the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so smart. Yeah. Because he's reaching in to save her. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's brilliant. Yeah. But if I knew that they loved each other more, it would probably matter yeah. more. If they loved each other at all. <laughs> at all. Yeah. We got coffee and flesh. That's it. And and trees. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Prince of Darkness and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84 and at TravisMWH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, in our quest for knowledge to explain the unknown, maybe some questions are better left unanswered. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Y'all are the real princes of darkness. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Slurm for everyone. There we go. A Slurms s- McKenzie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's party. Let's party. When we win. <laughs> a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Huesden, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent and Allison O'Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Carissa, TJ Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Linda, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, and Jonathan Booth. Thank you all so much. Thank you all tremendously. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Six times. Six Six times. (laughs) I want to thank each and every one of you for being a part of our sect, the Brotherhood of Creep. (laughs) 
I actually love it. I know. <laughs> let's, that's the thing. I'm not mad at it. <laughs> I don't have to hide behind a tree, do I? No, I hope. no not no, that no. kind of creep. No, no, not no. creepy. The good creep. The good oh. creep. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>